You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 517. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from the APG Mobile Studio. Today's show is recorded on the 14th of April, 2022. Today's episode, an Air France crew struggles to control their plane while trying to land in Paris. American Airlines is replacing some flights with bus rides. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 517 is ready for pushback. Hello, that was radio. Roger Stern, an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me from... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire... Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. And it's just going to be you and I today. I think we're going to be like those two old men in the Muppets. I exactly like those two guys. <laughs> Although probably not quite as entertaining. And also joining us today from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hey, everybody. All right. Yep, just the old folks today on the uh, APG. Gray-haired set. Yeah, well, we have <laughs> yeah, a, a, so. a lot of wisdom to impart to you young Yeah, so I'd, I'd said it two times two if you're listening to this on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good idea. All right. What do you think about covering some aviation news? Good idea. Stand by for news. Okay, the first thing that we're going to talk about in the news today uh, involves a uh, recreation video that I'm going to play. And I'm going to add that to the stream right now. And we'll take a listen to Air France Flight um, 11 from New York Kennedy to Paris Charles de Gaulle in France. Uh, they were on final approach to Paris's runway 26 left established on the localizer and cleared to land. And then um, this happened. So let's uh, have a listen. Hello, Air France 11, established ILS runway 26 left. 
My aunt has been struck by lightning. <laughs> Thank you for that translation. Uh-oh, something was going wrong here. Stop, stop. Not good. That's Tower Center. I'll call Tower you back. You know what we should do? I just now thought of it. Nick. What's that? You can be the Air France crew and I'll be the Tower. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Air France. One one. Uh, I I couldn't translate that. Sorry. Sacre <laughs> bleu. Air France eleven. We went around maintaining four thousand feet. We'll call you back. Okay, Air France 11, 4,000 feet, QNH 1013, departure under you stopped. Call me back when you're able. Air France 11, we went around following the issue with commands. The airplane didn't respond. We're ready to resume approach with radar guidance. Give us time to manage the situation. Hey France, 011, I saw the airplane diverted to the left on the radar. Do you want to return on runway 26 left? We would prefer 27 right. Okay, uh, Roger, maintain 4000. I'll check with departure for ILS runway 27 right. Affirm. Air France 011. Ah, 11. Oh, expect 27 right approach. Contact departure 133.380. 133.380. And after that, they landed safely. All right. That's all, folks. And lived happily ever after. <laughs> they lived happily ever after. And uh, thank you to that uh, reconstruction video. I do like Mash's comment. Sacre bleu says sacre bleu. Yeah. yeah, I think she misspelled blue. Wouldn't it be B L U E U? <laughs> sacre bleu. Anyway, uh, yeah. So that was interesting. Let's read uh, from Simon's uh, Aviation Herald. Uh, Air, an Air France Boeing seven 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 three hundred registration whatever performing flight uh, eleven from New York to Paris. We talked about that before. They were on the 26 left uh, localizer, cleared to land. They were descending through 1,500 feet when the crew heard, uh, when the crew was heard on tower frequency, audibly in distress. Alarm sounds in the background. One of the pilots calling, stop, stop, stop it. 
Tower instructed the crew to stop the approach at 1,500 feet when the aircraft descended through 1,200 feet, significantly having veered to the left off the localizer. The autopilot disconnect whaler can finally be heard on the radio transmission. The crew manages to go around from about 1,150 feet. While climbing out and leveling off at 4,000 feet, the crew reported that they had problems with the aircraft not following commands. The aircraft did not follow the commands. The crew requested runway 27 right, and under radar vectoring, they were positioned for that, and they landed without further incident. Uh, Let's see. According to ADSB data transmitted by the aircraft, uh, they were at 1,720 feet MSL, about 4.17 nautical miles before the runway threshold. Uh, the aircraft subsequently began to deviate to the left. Um, let's see. The BEA reported they rated the occurrence a serious incident and opened an investigation. The aircraft suffered a, quote, flight control instability, uh, control stiffness, and trajectory oscillations. Uh, cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder data have been downloaded on the 5th of April, 2022, and are being analyzed. Whether... Um, not great. Uh, ILS Category 1 minimums 300-foot uh, uh, broken ceiling in mist. And uh, the winds were not bad, 240 or 230 at uh, 8 or 9 knots. And uh, temperature was 9 and uh, 2.8. So, um, yeah, it was just about okay for a Cat 1 landing. But, um, you know, I think in those conditions, most people would probably have set up for a Cat 2 or a Cat 3. Uh, perhaps possibly yeah um but in in this case i you know it sounds to me like the autopilot system for whatever reason decided to start acting uh, inappropriately toward uh the end or getting close to the end about 1500 feet uh what they say or 1200 feet they started veering off to the left and uh, I'm wondering if uh, they immediately tried to disconnect everything and hand fly it, or if they tried to resolve the situation uh, with the autopilot uh, still or autoflight system I still can engaged. I answer that question, uh, Jeff. Okay. Because I have discovered that um, it's not until they have had a couple of those um, transmissions where gripping the yoke, they've uh, held down the transmit switch by accident so you can actually hear what they're saying to each other. Uh, It's not until the uh, second of those um, that you can hear the autopilot disconnect alarm. Uh, Now, that alarm, actually, I'm I'm not that familiar with the 777. It probably has that noise, has other functions, but it also is the autopilot disconnect. So when they were initially struggling with the aircraft, the autopilot was probably still connected, and it wasn't until a little later on that uh, you can hear the alarm saying, oh, you've now disconnected the autopilot. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. Uh, Now, I'm not sure what the standard operating procedure is for Air France in that particular situation, if that's, you know, what they're supposed to do to begin with, or if they're supposed to immediately, you know, take over control or whatever. So, um, no, neither do I. I mean, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but if, if what happened, if, if what happened is correct, um, then we would probably normally have just done a go around with the autopilot in uh mm-hmm. in in whether it's the it's the 
easiest way to do a go around an Airbus. I don't know about a 777, uh, but I suspect I might still be right. But if they suspect that the autopilot is actually malfunctioning, then it would be very wise to take it out. Uh, it's if they had time uh, in that short period from when they had the deviation to initiating the go-around, and they did it fairly quickly, if they had time to analyze what was occurring and decide it was safe to continue to use the autopilot, then I think they would probably let it in. As it is, they took it out mm -hmm. uh, and hand-flew the um, go-around, which is absolutely fine as well because we're all supposed to be able to do that. That's just yep. normal pilot stuff. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be sitting in the seat. But uh, the first noise you get uh, on that, accidental transmission is the master warning the uh, audio that comes along with that and um, there are some situations where apparently you you can't cancel that alarm that warning stays on I don't know whether they we I don't know what they had so I don't know yeah. whether they tried to cancel it uh, or it was just one of those um, problems where the, you can't you can't cancel the audio but certainly during that initial deviation they had the um, uh, master warning activated and then they uh, disconnected the autopilot and flew the airplane away but from what they were saying on the flight deck the big thing for me is that there and, and this is on the back of the last two plane tails i think there's a big startle factor here because it sounds to me like they're really not sitting back and going, oh, look, this has happened. They're actually going, oh, well, what's going on? I can't fly the airplane sort of thing. And, right. and I'm thinking that is almost surely down to, uh, in a large respect, down to a startle. Yes, I think that they uh, were definitely startled and they were trying to fight the controls with the autopilot still connected and you know yeah. you have to have a lot of as you can hear from their transmissions uh that they inadvertently are transmitting what's you know happening inside the aircraft there uh that they're really having a time of it trying to uh, to move those controls and when the autopilot's connected pretty low a pretty low altitude um i'm sorry liz what was that? It happened at a fairly low altitude yeah. too, so that probably panicked them a bit, didn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's any the closer you get to the runway and the lower you get to the ground, things uh, you know start getting more intense. Um, right. You know, you're expecting to see certain things, and yeah, that definitely contributed to the fact that uh, they were uh, um, you know startled and and were struggling. Okay, so uh, what would cause their autopilot to pull them left off the uh, center line then, Jeff? What do you I don't know. Uh, it's, I'm sure that the, uh, the, the signals, the ILS signals, were properly uh, protected. I'm, again, that's... Yeah, because uh, that was my first thought. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those who aren't aware, because the aerials that the aircraft is following are positioned on the airfield... The, um, the glide slope is sort of in a big patch of grass to the left of the threshold, but that's not the one we're interested in. We're interested in the localizer that's keeping the aircraft straight and pointing at the runway. And that's uh, off the far end of the runway. There's no roads really around it. There's no taxiways that are crossing in front of it, uh, except one, of course, that's right at the end of the runway. And with the aircraft at that height, you wouldn't expect another aircraft to be taxiing across. But there are a couple of access roads where a vehicle could, perhaps a maintenance vehicle or a bird scarer or some other air, airport 
facility vehicle could have driven in front of the uh, aerials. And because they're radiating at a very low angle uh, and a, a metal object like a, a, a bus or a, a Land Rover or something like that in front can distort the beam. And that might well cause um, a, a jink left. It might drive the aircraft to think that the beam has moved and I've got to track the beam, so I'm going to turn left to follow it. Um, that might be one. Or, of course, it could just be a maintenance fault with the aircraft. It could just be an aerial. It may, perhaps they, a bird had just hit the aerial. Uh, or they might just be a fault in the aerial that caused an erroneous left input. Either way, it's the sort of thing that you should actually be expecting on an ILS because they've been going on ever since ILSs were invented and stuck on the end of runways. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you've been getting uh, errors from false beams uh, ever since, and they still occur despite the, um, the complexity and the sophistication of uh, the equipment on the aircraft. Uh, they, the aircraft's usually pretty good at spotting when it's doing something a bit odd and will often raise a flag on the instrument showing you that uh, the indication from the ILS is faulty. But, you know, if it's a subtle one, perhaps not. And it's up to you as a pilot to go, this isn't right, uh, let's go around. And, which is effectively what they did. It's just they didn't sound like one of those calm, oh, look, we're getting false ILS indications. We're going around. I don't like this, let's go around. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, <laughs> just and uh, you're talking about these signals and such. The localizer signal and antenna array is located at the far end of the runway because obviously you still need that uh, localizer guidance, or many of us still do, especially if we're doing auto lands, uh, yep. to uh, continue to keep the airplane going straight down the runway. Um, the uh, the glide slope antenna is toward the touchdown zone of the runway, the the, the front part of the runway. Uh, but so it's usually that localizer beam that sometimes is um, c goes a little wonky sometimes if the uh, signal protection area isn't being honored. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I'm wondering, you know, you said that you, that you thought that you heard that master caution warning going on. I'm wondering if it's something internal to the auto flight system itself or the, uh, yeah. the instrumentation yeah. uh, on I, their I'm airplane. only supposing. That's exactly yeah. right. It could have been, uh, oh, th this is an error. So we're telling you and it's yeah. time to disconnect something uh, or stop following something and go around. Yeah. Too bad uh, we don't have a that, 777 pilot with us today. That would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> we know one, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> well, what a shame he's not around. Yeah. Um, but uh, having said that, they then completed a successful ILS in the same weather onto another runway um, next door. So um, I'm assuming the aircraft proved to be serviceable. Um, otherwise, because, you know, they managed to get it back on the ground safely on the second go. So it could be either the ground equipment uh, on that 2.7 left or a vehicle or uh, something like that, I would guess. Or perhaps it was just another taxiing aircraft. You know, you when um, low visibility approaches are in force, and I would have assumed they would be for weather like that, um, there's a, often a different stopping point as an aircraft approaches the runway um, where they're allowed to park uh, while they wait for clearance to take off. And it's it's different from the normal ones, which uh, occur you know, when the weather's good, uh, in that it's got a double yellow line and it's got a a, a, a 
a ground marking looks a bit like a ladder laid down in yellow. And that's the Cat 3 holding point, which is outside the protected area for the ILS because just for this exact reason. And it's possible, of course, that someone waiting to get airborne had rolled forward to the wrong holding point, which could have caused this. So th there are a number of things. We'll find out, I guess. But uh, uh, the thing that really worries me about this was kind of the crew reaction. And normally you wouldn't get to hear about that because normally it's kind of kept within the airline. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll have a chat with the guys and say, well, you know, come on, well, perhaps we need to go back in the simulator and practice a few unexpected occurrences because you, you all sounded a little bit um, flustered. Um, but now, because they hit the transmitter switch, yeah, we've all been able to it. hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're dirty washing and now mm -hmm. sort of hung out a bit, which is not ideal for them, but, of course, gives us an insight into what can happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah and it gives us uh, something fun to talk about. <laughs> and yes, we say fun because we weren't there. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. It wasn't me this time. Um. Just a quick uh, technical pause. Um, I've noticed that some people, especially our sound technician, uh, main man Micah, was saying that my volume was low compared to Nick's. And I did some adjustments and I just want to make sure that uh, that fixed what was wrong, maybe. Are they more in balance now? Yeah. Are, are we Nick, better Nick in volume? Volume's better now. Please run a comb. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have a comb here. I've got one, if you want to borrow it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, the wrong way. <laughs> okay. Very good. Well, then, based on that, just you're just going to have to deal with the mustache, Tim. Sorry. Mike is saying there's no difference. Okay. Excellent. Now, no difference. let's... Uh, no difference. <laughs> yeah. No difference. No difference. Okay. Let's continue with this one. And yay, we have another little video that I'd like to play. Uh, I guess we probably should set it up a little bit. Uh, a DHL Air uh, Boeing 757-200 registration Hotel Papa 2010 DAE performing flight 7216 from San Jose, Costa Rica to Guatemala City in Guatemala with two crew was climbing out of San Jose's runway 7 at about 940 local time. When the crew stopped the climb at about flight level 210, declaring a mayday due to a hydraulic failure, the aircraft entered a hold while the crew worked the related checklists. The aircraft subsequently returned for an approach to runway 7 about 45 minutes after departure. After touchdown at 1024 local time, the crew lost control of the aircraft, which spun around and went off the runway, causing the aircraft to break up into two parts. At least two parts, I think. Both main gear struts collapsed. The crew was able to exit the aircraft without serious injuries. And the weather was uh, not really a factor on this particular incident. And now I think would be a good time for us to play the video. It's an interesting one. Okay, it's uh, coming into view in the right uh, frame and... Right to left going down the runway, it's slowing down, and this looks like the left main gear, there's some smoke coming from it, and now it's doing a little pirouette. Oh, nice scrambling. Oh, he's half disappeared out of view down the ditch. Well, it looks a bit, lots of smoke. Yep. Let me 
turn the volume down a little bit on that. We can only see the front part of the aircraft and the right wing, really, because the rest of it is, and the fin, the rest of it is sunk into a ditch. The a fire truck's nice and quick. Yeah. I suspect they were already on standby if it already declared an emergency. Right. Here's another, uh, another view, another uh, video taken of the oh. emergency landing. So as you said, so. because of the May Day, the emergency vehicles were out. So I'm sure that got people's attention and thought, oh, something's yeah. happening here. Let's get ready to videotape this. There's quaint ass out there with a, hmm. a big uh, old airplane. I don't Qantas, know that is. Uh, just a translation there. Qantas. Oh, here we go. Okay, now we see the DHL 757-200 come into view. Uh, it looks like the spoiler panels are up, so yep, they haven't are. Yeah, cold, so. completely lost hydraulics. I can hear the thrust reversers. Oh, so they put working. that truck there. Oh, that's better. And oh, a lot of smoke from the left, bogies. Yep, kind of locked up the. Oh, uh, and he's ru he's going to the right. No rudder deflection at all that I can see. Oh, I didn't even look. Look at that. Interesting. Yep, yeah, and he's sunk into his hole. Yeah. Can you play that last bit as he as he did the ground loop? Because uh, yeah. I, I... Okay. Uh, <laughs> here we oh, go. That looks expensive. Yes. Oh, he's got some splaining to do. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Look, there's a good view right in your tail on. Okay. Okay, yeah, it looks like it was turning left a little bit. Okay, yeah, but it doesn't look like the rudder's deflected much, whereas I would expect him, as he, you know, span Fully around deflected. for him to have full left rudder right. Right. on, because that's where his nose was turning. Unless, of course, he's got hold of the tiller, mm -hmm. and he's trying to drive the nose was steering on the tiller and not on the rudders. True. Hard to say. Wow. Really, wow. exactly what I, I wish I knew more about their hydraulic system and what might have failed because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to criticize someone for having this sort of a problem when you've got some of your major hydraulic services uh, unusable because of a hydraulic failure. But it should, in all, you know, all things being equal, he should have been able to land okay. Because mm -hmm. I mean, if, yeah. if the I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, I'm sure. wondering if the because of the hydraulic, you know, we're not sure exactly what the extent was of the hydraulic system failure. I'm wondering if it ha somehow affected the uh, the anti uh, anti lock system, the uh, ABS -skid, uh, yeah. anti skid braking system, and that's the reason why the left main gear. Uh, bogey started smoking because maybe they were they were all locked up and yeah. um, and then they just lost completely lost that friction on that side of the airplane which means that if the right side was still supplying uh, good braking that's you know it naturally want to turn to the right right uh, yeah that's a good point and of course uh, he may not have had, I'm saying he you know maybe he was steering the airplane with the day he may not have had nose wheel steering. I mean, uh, on, on our Airbuses, if we lost the primary hydraulic system, the green system, we lost nose wheel steering. Right. Uh, which meant your 
basically steering the airplane on the rudder initially, as he was when he was first coming down the runway because he held it nice and straight. But as he got slower, uh, you have to use differential braking now to keep the aircraft state because you've no longer got the aerodynamic force from the fin. And if he's lost his nose for steering and doing that, uh, perhaps he just, uh, you know, got those brakes locked and they they lose effectiveness when they're, they're locked. Uh, and then the aircraft with braking on the right only would have done exactly what it did. It would have done a U-turn. By the way, I noticed that I think he landed with a bit of a tailwind, didn't he? Oh, I, I didn't. Think he I was didn't landing actually... on zero seven, and the wind was two four zero nine knots. Oh yeah, that would be. So I'm also a worried. Bit of a wondering yeah. why, with because the weather didn't look that bad, why with hydraulic problems he's landing with a nine knot tailwind? Because I'm going really. I would have probably hmm. asked to use the other end of the runway and get a headwind because. If you have put the potential braking problems, why right. would you want to land with a tailwind? That really is making your life difficult. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the Guatemala airport. and Or no, this would be San Jose, wouldn't it? Uh, they were going to Guatemala City and they yeah. didn't end up San getting Jose. there. So San Jose, Costa Rica. I'm not familiar with that airport. I don't know if there are some restrictions uh, regarding why. Well, That's a good point, uh, Nick, why they yeah. ended up landing with a tailwind. That I, may well have been restrictions, so... And I can see right here in this uh, picture the final resting point. Uh, the left rudder in this case is very uh, – the, the rudder is deflected uh, quite significantly um, as if they were trying to steer left. Yeah, or perhaps just they've just lost hydraulic pressure and it's yeah. flopped over there. That's probably um, much by more By the way, I here. can see a package there – to, uh, oh, can we zoom addressed in? Addressed to Mr. Gonzalez. So uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gonzalez. It'll probably be a little bit it's of a take some time. wait before <laughs> your damage, yeah. DHL package arrives. Half an hour now. Oh, an hour. boy. Okay. Uh, I mean, we'd laugh about it because no one was injured. The right. airplane looks a bit sad, but it's only a Boeing, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Rick when we need him. Yeah. Where's Rick when we need him, Liz says. Uh, let's continue <laughs> with uh, this next hiding. one. Hiding. <laughs> He's hiding. Uh, let's see. JetBlue stuns analysts with takeover bid for ultra low cost rival Spirit. JetBlue has stunned the aviation. Okay. We just talked about that in an all cash buyout that would value Spirit at $33 per share. Wow. Spirit is already in the process being acquired by Frontier in a friendly merger that would create the fifth largest airline in the United States. Following a New York Times story, JetBlue publicly confirmed it had submitted to take over, a takeover proposal to the Spirit Airlines board, which it claims is superior to the proposal submitted by Frontier. JetBlue said it plans to fully integrate Spirit into its own... Why can't I get to the screen now and scroll this down? <laughs> Great. My extra screen just stopped working. You want me to carry on while Please you do. fix it? Yes, carry Jet on. JetBlue said, <laughs> no problem, its plans to fully integrate Spirit into its own brand, leaving analysts scratching their heads uh, about how JetBlue would reposition itself amongst rivals. Serious questions remain over how such a proposal would clear anti-competitive hurdles imposed by the Feds. Uh, the combination of the two airlines would position JetBlue as the most compelling national low-fare challenge 
challenger to the four large dominant U.S. carriers by accelerating JetBlue's growth, the airline said in a statement. Now, their chief executive, Robert Hayes, also claims the deal would expand the so-called JetBlue effect, uh, in which legacy carriers lower fares in response to whenever JetBlue enters one of their markets. Sounds like they're complaining about competition. Um, The Biden administration has set its sights on anti-competitive behavior, which reduces consumer choice. But Hayes argues that the JetBlue brand drives more competition between legacy carriers than when an ultra-low-cost carrier enters the same market. Customers shouldn't have to choose between a low fare and a great experience, and JetBlue has shown it's possible to have both, commented commented Hayes, commented Hayes on Tuesday. Uh, Whilst JetBlue and Spirit are different in many ways, we also have much in common, including a focus on keeping our costs low so we can profit a profit. I can't speak today. Ah, Prof- you, you have a little bit of my uh, yeah. You can't read it. Disorder. <laughs> expand and offer an attractive alternative to the dominant big four airlines, Hayes says. We would conduct a full review of Spirit's product, offering operational and customer technology and talent pool to optimize the combined airline. JetBlue claims the deal would deliver $600-700 million in net annual savings and generate revenues of approximately $11.9 billion. Very impressive. So I wonder what JetBlue is up to here, really. You know, or do they I don't know. Really they seem want? to have an awful lot of cash available. This is mm-hmm. a, a cash offer, for heaven's sake. I mean, mm-hmm. how many airlines couldn't do that? It's I don't know. And, and recently I've been reading a lot of um, things regarding JetBlue and its operations and how they're kind of slipping in a lot of ways, especially uh, maintaining their schedules and con- uh, passenger or consumer relations and that sort of thing. Um, I'm just kind of. It's kind of curious to me if they really want to, you know, merge with Spirit or if they're just trying to throw a wrench into the whole deal. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, is Spirit renowned for good um, customer op- uh, operations and communication? Uh, well, they're one of the, um, you know, quote unquote, low cost carriers, uh, both Frontier and Spirit, Allegiant, a couple others out there that uh, are uh, kind of, you know, take pride in the fact that they are the uh, the cheapest way to go if you want to fly. Um, and Spirit, uh, because of that, and Frontier also, um, their reputation for customer service and customer relations is not up at the top end of the list. Let me just put so it, it that way. So it does kind of uh, make sense to say that, you know, that that's one thing they're going to benefit from. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, well. Either way, you're going to have a very big carrier mm-hmm. uh, if Frontier or JetBlue uh, manage to merge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's continue on with the next. The wheels on the bus go round and round. 
round and round, round and round. The, the wheels, wheels on the bus go round, round and round, round and round. I thought it was all day long or something like that. That's what I thought. Yeah, I've sung yeah, that song plenty of times as we taxi out. <laughs> yes, of course. That's what we always do. Um, <laughs> well, Ameri I'm driving a bus, so it makes more sense. Oh, very good point. You could be driving a real yeah. bus. All right. American Air. Yeah, Liz says you should probably be out there uh, driving a real bus. Come on. I probably should. You yeah. said I've got a bad back. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. American yeah. Airlines is the latest carrier to contract landline for connecting flights operated with buses. The move comes as U.S. airlines face the concurrent challenges from a pilot shortage, primarily hitting regional operators, and elevated fuel prices that together have forced many airlines to fly less than they would prefer. Landline, I guess that's the proper name of the company, will connect American's Philadelphia hub to Lehigh Valley Airport near Allentown, Pennsylvania, and the airport in Atlantic City, New Jersey, beginning June 3rd. The destinations are 70 miles and 56 miles, respectively, distant from the Philadelphia airport, according to Google Maps. And while Atlantic City is a new addition to the Fort Worth, Texas carrier's map, it serves Allentown with planes from several of its other hubs and flew Philadelphia, Allentown, until suspending the route early in the pandemic in May of 2020. The partnership is similar to ones Landline has with Sun Country Airlines in Minneapolis-St. Paul and United Airlines in Denver. Buses will be painted in an American livery. Tickets will be sold exclusively by the airline as its own quote-unquote flights, and bags will be transferred between buses and planes as with any connecting flight. But the new American Pact takes the tie up one step further. Pending approvals, travelers will clear security in Allentown and Atlantic City and arrive airside at a yet-to-be-determined gate in Philadelphia. American Vice President of Network Planning, Brian Znotens, in a statement described the partnership as one more way for travelers to connect to the airline's flights in Philadelphia. At a high level, that's what Landline does. It gives airlines another tool to expand their networks to destinations near their hubs. Buses make some routes economically feasible that are not with a plane. For example, American predecessor U.S. Airways served Atlantic City nonstop from Philadelphia on and off until 2003. The route is unlikely to be considered today with the poor fuel economics of 50-seat regional jets, the smallest in America's Americans' regional fleet. And, a, uh, and proximity of the city to Philadelphia. Uh, so, okay, so it goes on a little bit more. The rest of it will be in the show notes. Uh, but that's in, an interesting thing regarding the, the security aspect. If you clear security uh, in one of the locations and then you can just kind of buzz right onto the airport, uh, the airside in the bus, uh, I, uh, you know, right in front of the... Airline, uh, airliner. I'm wondering, yeah, yeah, the uh, good point, Liz. Uh, do they seal the doors on the bus? I mean, what's going to stop the windows or and the windows? I mean, uh, what's going to stop? I just don't have, know how they maintain that security, uh, on the bus, uh, when you're traveling the normal routes that a bus must take from you know city to city. That's an interesting idea. That's right, because uh, normally at a checkpoint, when a bus gets moves on the airside, it's not just uh, the the 
passengers on the bus who all have to get off and go through scanners. This is at other airports. But the bus has to undergo a search as well uh, to make sure that someone hasn't secreted something uh, on the bus uh, that would be useful to a terrorist. So how you can do a 70-mile journey through, you know, countryside and then pitch up and drive straight onto the airport uh, seems a little bit odd. I'm not sure the... um, TSA would be very happy about that. I don't think they would be. Oh, well, we'll see. And apart from that, if I was a passenger and I booked a flight, (laughs) I had to climb on a bloody bus, I don't think I'd be very impressed. I wonder how clear it's going to be made to the uh, potential customer uh, that, oh, by the way, you're you're going to be on a bus from Allentown to Philadelphia. You're flying an Airbus. Yeah, just because you painted it in the airline colors, it doesn't doesn't fool me. It won't have wings. (laughs) Oh, come on. You can fool some people, though, I'm sure. Yeah. Some people, some of the time, yeah. yeah but not- I, I mean, I can understand why they're doing it. If it's only a 56-mile journey or something, and uh, you've, you, a bus would be much more efficient uh, and simpler, um, then, yeah, uh, why not? But it does seem a bit like cheating. It does. It does. Oh, well. Low-level flight. Low-level flight. Yeah, good point, Liz. All right, well, let's uh, move on to this segment, the Getting to Know Us segment. This will be quick then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a lot of us to talk about what has been happening since the last episode, but uh, I'll, I'll start. Uh, Good idea. Let's see. I was on a trip uh, last week, uh, just got home yesterday, a three-day trip, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and before that. Uh, over the weekend, I did my uh, usual uh, singing stuff at my church. Um, does anything else happen interesting? Uh, picked up my daughter from the airport. Uh, she took a little uh, uh, trip out to the west uh, to uh, Arizona, and she saw Sedona, Arizona, and she saw the uh, south rim of the Grand Canyon. And so I took her there on a Monday morning, and I picked her up on a Friday night really late. But uh, it was uh, it was exciting to hear about how her trip went. And then again, Saturday, Sunday, sang at the church. And then out on Monday for a three-day trip. On uh, Monday, I was flying with Brent again. And uh, you, you all know that Brent and I like to scope out barbecue joints if possible. And we went to one that we had been to uh, a few times before. And we had... Uh, some chauffeur service uh, via Nick Camacho, Macho Man Camacho, uh, picked us up at the Hyatt Regency in uh, Wichita and uh, carted us over to Delano Barbecue. And uh, it was another wonderful barbecue treat. And uh, with you as well? Yes, That's Nick. True. Oh, yeah. He, he not only picked us up from the hotel Liz, and took us over there, but he actually, I let him eat with us too. Oh, that's really big. Well, you, <laughs> you know. didn't make him wait outside in the car. <laughs> no, we thought about it, but uh, we we were we took pity on him. No, of course he's, he's not here today. He's yeah, he's not here to defend himself. But yeah, he was with us. Uh, that's and, his fault. And you know what? Um, to be honest, Brent and uh, Nick Camacho uh, have a lot in common. A lot of general aviation stuff, and they're you know Brent uh, was involved in a small. Um, ultralight or i guess that would be the right term uh aircraft company and uh they were talking engines and displacements and various things that uh yeah i was the odd man out i was just like listening and eating and uh enjoying the conversation 
Anyway, uh, next day, and I mentioned this on the last episode, maybe a couple of episodes now, that we were going to uh, do or try to have a meetup in White Plains, New York. And I don't know, miracle of miracles, um, we actually made it to White Plains, because usually when I plan things like this, we get rerouted or rerouted. Um, and we made it to White Plains, and uh, we uh, ended up going to Ron Black. You know what? Usually what I do in this case is I explain everything and then I play the audio and in the audio I've already explained it as well. So I'm going to shut up and just play the audio that I recorded at our meetup. So here we go. Here we go. So here we are in White Plains, New York at the Ron Black's Beer Hall. Isn't there an apostrophe missing on that? Anyway. We'll talk to the... what is it called? The, uh, the, the, I couldn't think the of the word. What grammar. Kind of the, gr- the grammar police. There we go. Um, so we're here. Uh, it's the, uh, what day is today? The 12th of April and, uh, it's a Tuesday. I'm on day two of a three day trip. And, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, this young man over here sitting next to me, everybody's young compared to me, uh, Dave Lieb, uh, contacted me and said, hey, what do you think, uh, what are the chances of doing a meetup when you're in White Plains uh, in a couple of weeks? And I said, well, I said, what are you going to be doing there? And Because he, he's not from here. And he said, I'm going to be doing some work here, and it'd be great to uh, to do a meetup. And I thought, okay, well, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. I know somebody, Radio Roger. You know, you hear him every, uh, at the beginning of every show um announcing what we're going to be talking about and I know that he lives in the area and I saw uh, this new guy I just met uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a meet up in Jersey City Ryan Beasy uh I said I he kind of drives by this area sort of so maybe there's a chance that he'll be able to meet us as well so we started talking about it and then uh Donna Rose contacted me and she said that uh I'm thinking about going as well and my friend Felicity Pine and I went oh okay that's very very cool so thanks to Dave Lee, we are here at Ron Black's Beer Hall and uh, enjoying the great appetizers and adult beverages, and uh, soon we'll be enjoying even more. And so I'm going to do the old passing the microphone thing around, and uh, you can say something pithy, clever, or just say hi, or just pass it along to somebody else, whatever you want to do. So here we go. Here's We're going to start with uh, Dave Lee. Hello, all out there in APG land, and it's uh, great to be here in White Plains with Captain Jeff and Roger and Ryan Felicity and Donna, so I'm glad this worked out, and yeah, this uh, he's blaming me for this meetup, and I take full responsibility, so uh, I'm glad it's happening. This is a great place, and uh, always a pleasure to meet up with the good captain and uh, some people from the community, so I'm going to pass it right over. I've talked a lot on some other meetups, so going to go right across the table here to Donna. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Donna, and I've been suffering from the APG syndrome for about two years. Sorry, and there is no no cure, so I heard. And we're having a great time here in White Plains. Passing it along to Felicity. Hello, I'm Felicity. I represent the many, many people who listen to APG and know nothing about airlines or planes or anything but we love the show we love the people i'm learning a lot i'm a little afraid to fly now unless i take a plane with 
Captain Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so I will pass over to a very famous gentleman, Radio Roger. Hey, you're probably hearing enough of me already in this podcast, so I'll be brief. I live in the uh, town next to White Plains and was very happy when Jeff uh, first told me that he now flies in here. So uh hope this will be the first of many. Hello, Ryan again. Uh, just happened to be in the area and uh, Captain Jeff in the area again, too. Twice in a month, I think it is. Yeah. Um, happy to meet some other APG community members and join the uh, group. Back to you. All right. Great. It's so nice uh, to have so many wonderful people. And as I always say, and I'm, it's not a cliche, well, I guess it's kind of turned into one, but the best part of all of this and, and doing the show is actually these meetups and getting to meet everyone in person. And uh, these are just amazing, wonderful people, and I'm having a great time. So <sighs> back to you suckers in the studio. Ooh, that's that's kind of rude, huh? Yeah, very rude. I yeah, I'm sorry. Must have been drinking. Were you using your new radio mic? Uh, my new radio mic? Yeah, remember you got you, you acquired a, a a lovely radio mic that you thought you might hang on to and use for meetups and things. I uh, oh, you got it for you got it for the was it the five hundred? Or well, did you send it? Oh, back? oh, oh, okay. No, I see what you mean. The uh, the the wireless mic. Yeah. No, I did not use that because that would have been extra equipment that I would have had to have plugged in. Oh. Um, but no, what I did was I oh. actually used the, um, what is it called? The, uh, ATR 2100 USB mic that I usually have in my bag. Uh, the last couple of times that I made, like, uh, when we were in Lexington, I didn't have that in my bag. So I just had to use the built-in, uh, iPhone microphones. Uh, but this time I actually remembered to bring the ATR 2100 microphone. So I plugged that into the phone. So. Yeah, so it wasn't cool. into a fancy Zoom thing because, again, that was just more stuff for me to take on the trip, and I'm trying to you cut down. You do like to travel light, don't you? I try. I try. <laughs> anyway, anyway sounded great. Well done. Good. Thank you. What uh, were you eating? Lots of steak and stuff. Well, let's see. We well the uh, the two ladies were uh, are vegetarians, so they were not eating uh, a lot of meat, like zero. <laughs> uh, they, I can't remember what everybody had. David, I. I'm not sure what I think he had a salad um and uh, we had the uh, the picture that our um our server took uh, up while we were uh playing the audio so there's uh, David Lieb on the uh, right in the green shirt and that's one of the APG um one of the original APG shirts and the I don't know if you can tell by looking at the picture but the uh the logo is almost completely worn off so I have to send David another Another shirt, although he's, he was complaining because he said he can't get that color anymore. So I'm not sure why it's not offered in that color anymore. But uh, anyway, um, and then we did also talk about um, T-shirt ideas and that kind of thing. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, if somebody's out there who's a creative and, and has some great ideas for T-shirt designs and wants to uh, take the bull by the horns and, and actually you know have these T-shirts made and handle the... Uh, the sales transactions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'd be more than happy to let somebody out there do that. I just don't want to have to deal with it at all. I, I did that for several years of my life and uh, I don't want to do it anymore. So um, anyway, uh, and then Don uh, sitting across from, 
from David is Donna Rose, and then next to Donna Rose is um, Felicity Pine, and uh, both Donna Rose and Felicity Pine are members of our Coffee Fund cadre. Thank you, ladies. Oh, and, thank you. And then that ra- that guy in the back, that kind of shady-looking character, yeah, that's yeah. Radio Roger. Well, they're and, both pretty shady, those, yeah. one, those what, two. What's yeah. really interesting to me is that, uh, you know, I'm not a New Yorker, and I don't live in that area, but everybody there, you know, immediately recognized uh, Roger's voice and you know, ten ten wins, and they were just so excited that uh, he's a star. he was. Yeah, he's a definitely a, a radio celebrity, a star Excellent. in uh, New York Excellent. City. And then, of course, the guy sitting to the right of me, and the uh, the other shady looking guy, and he's looking at the camera, going like, "What am I doing here? Um, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into?" Yeah, another waste of time. Yeah. And that's uh, that's uh, Ryan Beasy, uh, the Sikorsky uh, helicopter pilot. And so I was happy that he was able to make it too. So. That was our little meetup. Had a great time. Definitely. Well done. All right. And uh, that is pretty much it. I got back from that trip yesterday. What am I doing this weekend, Liz asks? Well, this is Holy Week that we're in the middle of uh, Palm Sunday, last Sunday. And then uh, today is Holy Thursday. We'll be singing at the church uh, tomorrow, Good Friday, uh, singing again Friday night. Uh, Saturday, Holy Saturday, I'm going to be singing at the Easter Vigil Mass uh, late Saturday night, and then, of course, a couple of Masses on Sunday. Can you hear the truck in the background using their Jake brake? Certainly can, yeah. Engine braking? You need to put a a big sign outside your place going, no engine braking. Yeah, I think there are actually signs that do say that, Uh, (laughs) Nick, actually. No engine braking, and apparently they're ignoring that. Anyway, doesn't read English. Uh, maybe they don't read English, Liz says. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, it's um, a, a lot of activity at my church in the next few days. So um, wishing everybody, by the way, a happy Easter if you celebrate. That's why we're doing things early. Today. And that's why we're doing things early in the day to try to knock this thing out so that uh, we can have this published hopefully, hopefully by the end of the weekend or Monday, something like that. But anyway, um, so... Yeah, going to be busy singing and uh, find, trying to find Easter eggs. No, actually, I'm not going to be trying to find Easter eggs. But I'm sure that some of you out there will be involved in Easter egg hunting activities, especially if you have young Chocolate ones. Consumption. Chocolate consumption. Mm, I can do that for sure. Okay. Um, that's it for me. Nick, what have you been up to? Uh, well, um, the usual from me, uh, I'm looking after Mrs. Anderson. So, uh, she needed a hospital appointment, uh, and, uh, I needed to beg a ride to another hospital for one of my appointments because, uh, I couldn't drive myself. It's one of those things where they put eye drops in your eyes that expand your pupils so that you look like a drug addict. Uh, and why they want you to do that, I never know. But uh, anyway, uh, so <laughs> I couldn't drive myself home. And, um, you know, got MOTs due in the, on the cars and services and all sorts of things. So I'm being kept very busy, sadly. Most of it um, just a little bit on the tedious side. Uh, but the good thing is that um, uh, bowling season starts in a couple of days. So uh, And we're getting some good weather this week. So I'm looking forward to that. That's about Jeff, it, really. Did you get your Very income good. tax done? Uh, no, Liz, I did not get my income tax done. No. Just yeah. I never have to fill out another income tax form. I, I yeah. had a win with the uh, the inland revenue. 
Oh. They said, oh, you don't have an income. Oh, you don't have to fill out the form again anymore. That, then. That's so nice. Go, Yay. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of taking the same attitude, although I'm still required and obligated to file uh, income taxes. So I don't know. Um, I, thank you for bringing it up, Liz. I, I really appreciate it. I was in a, in a good mood. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a source. Until you mentioned it. Yeah. Okay. Don't you have an accountant that does it for you? Yeah, but you still have to collect all the things that they need to file. And I haven't been good at, at uh, organizing okay. all of that. And, you know, I know you're going to find this very surprising, but I'm kind of a procrastinator. No. So, yeah. Uh, is, is, is that a crastinator who's a professional? Yes, I'm a pro professional crastinator. <laughs> I'm among the best. I, um, I thought so. Yeah I, yeah, I could tell you that. So you yeah. got an extension. Well, I'm going to, well, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> oh, you mean an, a, a tax filing extension? Ah, yeah, yes. Right. Uh, I, I, uh, we're, I'm sure, going to have to do that, yes. Um, and which is kind of a standard thing anyway that uh, happens every year. Okay, well, um, and not only because it's my fault, but probably mostly. Um, let's talk about the artwork from the last episode, episode 516, entitled Unusual Attitudes. Wow. Look at this thing. <laughs> so wow. <laughs> there is so much there. <laughs> what a great, uh, piece of artwork, uh, Captain Nick. Um, well, you gave me about five different possible titles and I think I managed to get them all in. I think you did. Yeah. You, There's a bit uh, a of lot beaver of stuffing. Yes. We, we uh, all enjoy that. And dumping. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Some that humping button. and dumping. Something about uh, looking at Fanny. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> but my favorite bit, oh, apart from uh, the button, uh, the amazing oh, yeah. button, that, that button. The, but no pilot would ever push. Right, still I still don't that. know what it was. I see that button though in the in the picture. Yeah, That's good. I got it. Yeah. 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 Like Apart from that, button, was yeah. something that came on that was on the picture when I found it, uh, which I slightly altered. So it now reads, "D bag is the poetry of the air." Oh. And I thought it used to say, "Music is the poetry of the air." And I, <laughs> since I had to put "D bag" in there somewhat, but I thought That's fantastic. That's a, <laughs> That's, a, that's just for Nick uh, Macho Camacho because, of course, uh, they have to deploy a D-bag when they throw paratroopers out of their C-47. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what the reference is. Nothing else that it comes to Oh, yeah. To I mean, mind. what else could you possibly be referring exactly to? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And Steph had a reference to it as well, didn't she? Uh, isn't there a free-fall yes. parachuting... Yep, reference to a D-bag, I don't know. I think so, yes. Uh, I think she mentioned something about that. And uh, also, uh, Liz is making the point that you made it somewhat easy this uh, week to find the show number. number. I even saw it without any help. Yeah, it just happened that this, this uh, shop front that I uh, altered had the street number 516. So, oh, really? Uh, wow, how convenient. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> That's a what good a, one, though. What a coincidence. It took me a long time to find an image of a shop front with number 516 on it. I'll so bet. <laughs> but if, if, if she starts complaining, I'll make it impossible again. And then, I'm by the way, oh, anyone who she's saw not complaining. the last one, she's not complaining. <laughs> saw the one prior to this, the, uh, the show number was on the Red Sputnik. The bottom of the red Sputnik, yeah, if you couldn't find it. Ah, okay. I never did find. You know, I don't even look anymore because it's just too hard to find. Oh, you, with your eyesight, I'm not surprised, Jeff. Yeah. What? 
Who's that talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> hearing, no? Yeah, the hearing as well. All right. Well, uh, very good. And I can't wait to see what would come up or you come up with uh, for this week's. Well, uh, I, I, I need a good uh, suggestion. So yeah, we don't have any good room, titles yet. Get your thinking caps on, yeah, please. Really. Start Almost. thinking about it. Definitely. All right. Uh, let me get over here to the soundboard. And uh, is there anything else we should do except no, maybe move no. on to the coffee fund? Oh, Pip's in it. the showroom, by the way. Hi, Pip. Oh, hello, Show Pip. Room. How you doing? He says, boo. He scared me. The Coffee Fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I should probably not sing so high. Anyway, it's the Coffee Fund. Uh, that's your way to support the show financially. And uh, you can become members of the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Club, as uh, Nick likes to call it. And a couple different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method via PayPal. And uh, since the last episode, we have a couple of folks, a couple of APG members uh, who contributed. George Hollis and Mazutz Karim. So thank you very much, guys, for doing that. And also, the other way to support us and become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre is to become a patron of our show via Patreon. And since the last episode, we have a new patron, James Mack. Thank you, James, for signing up to become a patron of the show. So, if you're interested in joining this great group of folks, as long as you have the financial resources to do so, why don't you head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And as always, we will too. We're going green. Buffalo Airport's We're going, going green. green. We're going to take care of the earth. earth. We're going green. Yes, they are. That is so apt considering the color of the liquid. It is. Yeah, look at that spray uh, on the picture there uh, going on the airplane. That's going green right there for sure. Certainly is. Okay, a wintry mix of rain and snow was predicted a few days ago. Again, this was a a while back, sometime in February, uh, for Buffalo Niagara International Airport, the kind of forecast airfield managers never hear in tropical places such as Miami or Tampa. But in Buffalo, the snow and cold means crews spend much of their days de-icing an average of 110 daily flights to make them safe for takeoff. It also means that rivers of thick and hazardous de-icing liquids drip off planes emblazoned with names like JetBlue, United, and Southwest. Hey, what about Acme? And after all that stuff, unwelcome in sewers, uh, in, oh, and all that stuff, uh, Buffalo, which is unwelcome in sewers, needs some place to go. Oh, look that. Speaking of Buffalo, uh, we have our uh, APG librarian, Tiffany, with us. Hi, she, Tiffany. A rare APG live recording on my lunch break. Hey, Tiff, great to see you. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we're talking see, about your armadillo in Buffalo. Well, yeah, on the tail of that Frontier jet, yes. I don't know if they have 
armadillos, though, um, no. that roam about yeah. Buffalo, probably a little bit too far north. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, Buffalo Niagara International Airport is equipped with the latest equipment innovations, including new multitask vehicles that cost $870,000 each mm. and combine three assignments into one, plowing, brushing, and air blasting. At Buffalo Airport, a new and expanded network of engineered wetlands appears to be satisfying environmental protection agency mandates and more. The Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority has just completed a new component of an overall $12 million project that sends all those fluids into giant underground lagoons staffed by billions of bacteria ready to break it all down. Staffed. Not all. Oh, yeah. The payroll. Yeah, the little play on words there. Staffed is in parentheses. Um, Oh. Anyway, uh, not all staphylococci then. I don't. I don't think so. I think <laughs> I don't think that would be the kind of bacteria that breaks down de-icing fluid. But I could be wrong. Uh, not uh, not all airports handle the job on site. Indeed, only Edmonton uses the same system in all of North America. And some airports complain about the high costs involved. But the NFTA is enthused about a method that, for the most part, neutralizes the hazardous materials necessary to safely fly airplanes in this part of the world. Anyway, it goes on to talk about this really, I thought, was quite interesting. Uh, this five million do- um, gallon underground lagoon that uh, they pump all the de-icing fluid that they've uh, collected and uh, and the, this uh, biological bacterial goo kind of uh, takes care of breaking it down into something that is uh, Earth-friendly. Environmentally friendly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they have managed to extract any of you, anything useful from, from it or whether they're just breaking it down and so that you can, you know, spray it and leave it or just let it go into the sewage system. But, I mean, it would be lovely if we could recycle this stuff because, you know, it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, but there you go. It just says that... Um, Let's see. Uh, the decontaminated runoff enters the U Crest ditch near the airport. So I guess I guess it doesn't do like 100% of the decam- decontamination, but pretty, or maybe it does. Maybe it is 100%. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's interesting, and I think that if you're into science and engineering and goo, then check out. <laughs> This, behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, this yeah. Behind, behind the scenes and, and under the ground uh, gooey stuff. There you go. Check it out. It'll be in the show notes. So thank you, Mike Lawrence, for sending that in. I think Good he's a fellow Buffalo. Canadian, isn't he, uh, Liz? He is. He's from London, oh. Ontario. London, he Ontario. Truck, he drives his truck across the border drives, much every day. He drives his truck across the Canadian-U.S. border almost every day. Very cool. All right. Well, I never, uh, by the way, I think that's an A320, don't you? I think so. Yes, that's what Frontier flies. Yeah. Good spotting. All right. We have some more feedback from this time, Mr. Phil near Dulles. Uh, he says, anyone ever mentioned that the guy, that, that guy in the NOTAM recording sounds like Ross Perot? And I guess he's talking about this guy. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. Yeah, you know what? I do think he sounds a little bit like Ross Perot, and probably a lot of people listening right now 
either are not old enough or are not uh, based in North America or living in North America to really know exactly what Ross Perot did sound like, but his voice was very, very similar to yes, that. but it's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. All right. So anyway, again, this is from Phil near Dulles Airport, Washington. Uh, started a new I job. I reckon he sounds like one of those old men in the Muppets. That was terrible. Horrendous. I'm offended. I'm appalled. Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a, yeah, I guess you could say that as well. Um, Phil started a new job that included a 60 mile each way commute, uh, listened to audiobooks on long trips, but started listening to podcasts on my new commute. I searched for aviation podcasts and first discovered airplane geeks going back through older episodes, ran across one where Max Prescott raved. Oh. Yeah, Trescott. Trescott. Yeah, he put Prescott, but it's actually Max Trescott raved about what a good time he had being a guest on your podcast. Have also followed you since. And then he adds, if any of the crew ever fly into Dulles and have some time, uh, he'd like to take them to lunch or dinner, if so inclined. So mark that down, Liz. Dulles, I got it. free lunch got or it. dinner or both. Free lunch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get diverted, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I think we are actually starting to serve Dulles Airport again in the uh, 717. So I might just, uh, he might be uh, sorry that he actually made that offer. Well, I used to go into there every now and again. Yeah. But a uh, bit, bit late now. Can't. Yeah. Can't take you up on that. Sorry. Well, you're just uh, non revenue travel, you know, standby travel over here just to get a free lunch. Uh, yeah, that probably well, doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Spencer uh, sent us some feedback again. It's uh, it's been a while. Um, sorry, everybody. We we're, we're trying to catch up with the backlog of, uh, of feedback. Uh, he says, "Hey, APG crew, it's Spencer from Utah. Just wanted to give a quick update. Um, a couple of days ago. Oh, wait a minute. I got to get something ready here. A couple of days ago, I." Passed my commercial check ride. Yay! Good job. Not an easy one. Good job, man. And uh, so let's see. Oh, anyway, I came across this video, and then he gave us a link to a video has to do with some um, major airline pilots that are based in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, protesting or picketing outside of the Atlanta International Airport. And he says, it made me wonder, do you all think things uh, really are that bad or do pilots just like to complain about everything? Um, The the best way to answer that would be yes. Yes and yes. Yes and yes. I I do fly, I have flown with, uh, and I'm sure I will continue to fly with pilots that do like to complain about a lot of things. I'm hopefully not one of them. Um, but the uh, reason why these pilots were picketing and protesting and, well, making the public aware of the trip construction or the, the way trips are, are um, they're not as easy as they used to be. We're flying a, a lot more or they are, oh, all of us are uh, flying a lot more flights per day and our duty days are getting longer and longer and um, the it's very fatiguing and it's um, it's something that we have to think about as far as safety is concerned because you can only do so much with uh, the number of pilots that you have and you know they are trying to hire new pilots to kind of you know 
fill the backlog of uh, pilot slots because uh, the airlines are trying to recover from this pandemic thing and they're expanding flights. And uh, until they get decently staffed, they're going to have to use those of us who are on the uh, on the rosters to fly more. And it's it's just getting now. I'm fortunate because I am pretty senior, and uh, I can somewhat avoid uh, flying as much as some people uh, have to, uh, and because they have no choice, and they're not senior enough to get out of that kind of flying. And uh, I'm I am concerned, honestly, uh, that these uh, trips are really. Uh, kind of wearing everybody down. And I'm, uh, I just had a discussion the other day with Brent that uh, it's kind of, um, I'm kind of surprised that there haven't been some safety related incidents slash accidents uh, because of it. And uh, I'm just hoping that we can continue to be professional and, and try to get as much rest as possible and, and be responsible and that sort of thing. And uh, hopefully things will improve as we get more pilots uh, hired uh, to fill all these you know, flight uh, requirements. Um, and uh, the other thing I was going to add uh, before we maybe discuss anything else is that normally I try to avoid, or we try to avoid here on the show, anything to do with um, union stuff, union politics, union, union politics contracts, that kind of thing. And that kind of falls in the same category as talking about politics and talking about religion. I think we're all better off by kind of avoiding that and just sticking with the, you know, the, the stuff that we can all kind of talk about and not get, um, get all bent out of shape about. And I'm, I'm sorry, I was a little thrown off because Liz, while I was trying to speak, was saying something about union officials being naked in front of hotel windows. And <laughs> Uh, and we've already covered that. Yeah. She, so she basically, that was it's, like an exception to that rule about union stuff, yeah. <laughs> but it just so happened that he was a union leader. And really, I don't think it had anything really specifically to do with being uh, an exhibitionist. He was protesting. Yes, it was uh, where somebody protested the, uh, his, his appearance in the window. Anyway, uh, so Spencer, thank you for um, kind of mentioning that. And again, I don't want to go into too much detail about like the the union company negotiations aspect of all this stuff, but it, it's something that I think is is present uh, in uh, probably all the airlines around the world now, uh, where they're really working people really really hard. Or maybe it's just a U.S. thing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think anywhere where the uh, industry has picked up to more or less pre-pandemic levels, they're going to be stretched because we know uh, COVID infections is keeping a lot of the workforce away. Uh, airlines will have cut their workforce, uh, a lot of them will anyway, um, because they weren't needed during the pandemic. But now they need them back quick. And we know you can't just generate pilots. They don't just grow on trees sadly uh, other countries not so bad because they're still in the doldrums but uh, it will happen to most countries eventually and those countries that are so amongst the last to recover will find there are very few spare pilots hanging around much much agreed all right um, thank you again, Spencer. And we'll move on to this, our big-ass fan in Lexington, Greg <laughs> Peterson. 
Uh, he says, listening to episode 513, and you were all amazed at the metallurgical analysis of the failed tur- turbine blade on the Korean Air two A220. It's amazing what they can tell from a failed metal part. When United 232 crashed in Sioux City, Iowa, that was a long time ago, the failure was traced to a metallurgical anomaly called a hard alpha in the stage one titanium fan disc. A hard alpha is caused by a contaminant particle in a metal alloy that causes the metal around it to become brittle. The brittle metal then cracks and the failure begins. That was in 1989, and they managed to find the cause of the failure. I can only imagine the advances in technology in the last 33 years that let investigators analyze failed metal parts like the Korean turbine blade. Again, that was from Greg Peterson. I, I suspect in Greg's uh, occupation, building big-ass fans, um, a, a lot of them, I am assuming most of them made out of metal, uh, it's, it's absolutely vital because if, you know, those blades were enormous and if one of them falls 20 feet onto the crowd below, <laughs> it would be a yeah. big lawsuit. <laughs> that so, is not good. No. So I expect that company has to know a lot about uh, metal fatigue. <laughs> what, what did you say, Liz? Not a fan of that? No, but it would be a whirling fan of death. Oh, would be a whirling fan of death. That was a show title, wasn't it? Oh, it was once, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but if you get hit by one of those blades, I'm sure that they wouldn't be a fan of that. Uh, rim shot. I wish I had a rim. Oh, I do. I have a soundboard here that uh, can. Oh, it. Uh, here no, it's, no, we're not having that as a show title. Uh, okay. We won't have that as a show title. Oh, well, we'll come up with something, hopefully. Uh, I think it's time now for us to uh, kind of. Uh, do a little bit of audio feedback. Um, we can do that, right, Liz? We're not. It's not yet time for our plaintiff. Okay, good. Uh, let's uh, get this audio feedback from. Well, I think he's going to tell us who he is. Here we go. Hello, APG crew and APG community. This is Andrew from Ottawa, Canada. Just following up on a recent episode uh, I was in. I was the lone participant to join Gubby for the Ottawa meetup, which I think was in episode 509. Um, And as I've been catching up in my episodes, I'm just a little bit behind here. Uh, I came across a pretty awesome video that uh, Gubby had uh, sent in. And I have to say, I think he and I probably spent too much time laughing and, and talking history and not about current activities that that's a pretty amazing uh, video uh, flying up north and certainly that that kind of aircraft has always been a fascination of mine uh, I, I mentioned in the video that I was a, a flight student so I'm in my 40s and just now starting to get into uh, getting my private pilot's license and uh, figured the discussion of uh, flying in a northern climate uh, might be interesting for some others out there and I'm sending in a picture of a, a, my aircraft just before a recent flight I took. And it's kind of interesting, <laughs> even though winter is uh, quickly fading away here in, in Ottawa, Canada, uh, there was <laughs> quite a few times where uh, I had to clean off quite a bit of snow and uh, get the ground crew out to um, de-ice the airplane as well. 
and uh, also uh, sending in a video uh, that might be interesting just to get a sense of what uh, winter operations look like at CYRO, which is one of uh, Canada's oldest airports and uh, I think, you know, dates back probably more than even 100 years um, and is just in the shadows of Parliament Hill. It's uh, very close to downtown. Uh, has a tremendous amount of history and, and actually is home to Canada's National uh, Aviation Museum as well, just off uh, the runway uh, 09. Uh, in the video, um, uh, you know, when, when Gubby was talking about his flight, uh, he was uh, protesting, I think, quite, uh, quite vigorously that he wasn't holding hands with uh, the other pilot. Um, I can assure you that uh, in the flight uh, where you see me landing, I also wasn't holding hands with anybody because it was my very first solo, which uh, I am very excited about. So that just happened very recently and for me uh, is a huge event um, and uh, something some, <laughs> somewhat of a, a lifelong dream, I, I have to say, and, and still a lot more uh, to go ahead of me, but uh, Really, it, you know, aviation and flying a plane is something I've thought about, geez, you know, since I, since I was a little boy, really. I, I can remember playing around with my parents' old uh, tape deck and, and treating the controls and the lights as though they were the dials and switches in, in an airplane cockpit. Having gone through the solo, a, a few things came to mind uh, just in terms of feedback. Uh, the first is that uh, as a student, um, you know, relax and, and don't rush. Uh, getting to the solo was a big event for me. And at certain point along my, my training, I decided that, you know, I was failing myself in terms of my progression and how, how quickly I was getting towards a solo. And I was applying pressure on myself. And, and you know, the moment, um, you know, I expressed to my instructor that, hey, this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to get to my solo. He said, you know, just just relax and enjoy the process, Andrew. Uh, it's it's not about getting through it as quickly as possible. And, and you know what? The moment I, I truly did relax, um, <laughs> I progressed very quickly. And, 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 and the, the lesson after next uh, was, was my solo there. The second thing I wanted to mention is that if you're out there in the community and, and you're thinking, geez, um, I, I, I'd really like to, to learn how to fly, uh, but I'll just do it next year. Don't don't wait. Uh, get get out there. Get started now. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have one of my best friends um, in, in a recent birthday um, surprise me with a gift, which was my first few lessons. And uh, he didn't actually just give me money. He looked out uh, for the different flight schools in the area and and booked me a spot. And so, um, you know, my friends have always known that I've had this passion and interest in planes. And uh, incredibly enough, uh, this 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 friend of mine, one of my best friends, uh, was thoughtful enough to really just push me over the edge and, and get started. And there's so much to do and so much to learn and so much fun to have as well. Uh, just get out there and start. And then the final thing uh, that I would say is that it, it, it's remarkable the people who are in aviation. Uh, the the office operations person at CYRO, Rockcliffe, um, I remember her saying to me that uh, when she when she arrived and, and she's there for her commercial license as well as uh, uh, running running the operations on and on a day to day basis, uh, she said, you know, I, I immediately felt these are my people, and I think there there really is something to that, and and a big part of why I'm sharing the video in addition to, 
the winter operations aspect is is just that um, you can hear it in uh, the person who's recording the video's voice. And he's just another student. And he was the student with my instructor immediately following me. And when uh, he saw me pull in and uh, my instructor to get out, uh, he recognized what was happening, which was uh, it was going to be my first solo. And and what a thoughtful guy. He he took the time to take it, take out the camera. And, and you can hear it in his voice, the genuine and sincere excitement about what's going on. And, and he knows um, how happy I am. And, and, and I think he's genuinely happy, which I, I think is super cool. And, and I'll just add that uh, as soon as I had done the follow, fo- uh, pardon me, the, the solo, I, I knew that I wanted to, to provide my first feedback here. I've been listening to the show for years. Uh, I love it. You guys do a tremendous job. Uh, it's always amazing to listen to the, the banter, the insight and, and, and the grounded um, perspectives on things. Nobody takes themselves too seriously, yet everybody is highly accomplished and, and, and obviously um, incredible pilots and, and aviation professionals. So there it is. Uh, I just wanted to provide my very first feedback after many years of listening. I, I can attest to you that uh, my wife and daughter are very familiar with all your voices from uh, listening to the podcast on family drives and, and, and long trips. Uh, but uh, yeah, for now, uh, this is Andrew from Ottawa. Wishing everybody blue skies and less than six inches of snow to brush off your plane before your flight lesson. Take care, everyone. <laughs> We are so oh, it was great. glad you did send that in, Andrew. And that's Canadians, are such for the most part, except for Liz. Yeah, are such I, nice I people. Heard that for, yeah. <laughs> How do you spell uh, Ottawa? It's O D O W A. If yeah, you want to like spell Toronto. it phonetically, yeah, but it's Ottawa. But oh, okay. Nobody says um, Ottawa. No, no, Andrew didn't. Um, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, great achievement, Andrew. Brilliant. And, and you know, you're quite right. If I were around and I saw someone doing their first solo, I wouldn't be able to resist from walking up and congratulating them because it's the first big step on a, an aviation uh, career, life of aviation. And, uh, you know, you should feel rightly proud. I think it's brilliant. And the fact that you have to clear all that stuff of your airplane before you go fly, I think it's doubly, uh, you know, hard. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, speaking uh, of that video that uh, that fellow student took, uh, yeah. we, we do have that to play for everyone. Oh, wow, so this is brilliant. very, very cool. So here Does we it go. end well? No, I'll yeah, stop it before. <laughs> okay. First solo landing. Oh, cool. Because it's not, it's a lot of snow blowing around, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's Canada. Wow. It's Canada, yeah. Okay, there he is, touching down. Wow. What a beautiful job. Yeah. That was freaking yeah. awesome. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Oh, man, that's so great. Andrew is singing right now. He's singing, you can always go around. <laughs> Didn't need to. Good man. Yeah, that looks really nice. You only get to do that once, Andrew. That's very true. It's all downhill from there. Yep. Oh, and then the airplane just went down a hill. Oh, that's <laughs> sad. That was great, though. Yeah, and that wasn't that. That was fantastic. And yeah, uh, if you're gonna get a video of your flight, then your first solo. What a brilliant one to pick. Yes. Excellent. So again, what took you so long, Andrew? But thank, 
thank you for finally doing it. All right. I think it's plain tail time now, Jeff. All right. Three minutes to the top of the hour. Our probably. producer in the uh, control room is telling me that we're going to go ahead and run the uh, the plain tail because we're going to try to make this go. a little bit uh, shorter show this week in honor of Holy Week and uh, my schedule. So, without further ado, let me see if I can find it. Here we go. And Liz, are, are you ready for I'm ready. all that stuff? Okay. And uh, here we go. I'm sorry. I thought I'd found it, but I hadn't. Okay, here we go. Uh, this week's installment of the old pilot's plane tale is entitled RAF 414, Volume 50. I can't believe we've already had 15 of these. It's amazing. I love these. All right, take it away, old pilot. The Old Pilot's Playing Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 15. The Royal Air Force's Pilot's Flying Logbook is a sturdy publication, cloth-bound in blue with gold printing on the cover, on the inside of which are the instructions for use. Para 1 subpara A states that the book is an official document and is the property of Her Majesty's Government. Well, good luck trying to get this one back. I left you having rejoined my old squadron, the Fighting Cocks, and after being given a brand new navigator, Cool Hand Collie. What I hadn't mentioned was what the squadron had in store for me. Something I wasn't happy about, even though I should have expected it. After all, if you were the boss and read that your new pilot, an experienced Phantom Champ on his third tour and now with four years of advanced jet instruction under his belt, you would want to put him in an appropriate job. What better than the Deputy Squadron Qualified Flying Instructor? It therefore came as something of a surprise to him when I complained bitterly. Can't you help me? Well, do you have any idea of what you want to be? Yes, yes I have. What is it? A lion tamer! I had left the squadron and had been dragged kicking and screaming to the Central Flying School, despite ticking the box non-volunteer on my application form. I had suffered four years doing a job I didn't want whilst my friends and colleagues on the front line had fun in the weeds flying roaring fighter jets and even fought a war over the Falklands Islands. I, it seemed, had been branded a QFI, which meant I was destined to spend a lot of my time in the back seat of a dual-control Phantom on my squadron, and on my next tour, even worse, doing a dead-end job as a QFI at the Phantom Conversion Unit. I requested an interview to put my case. Quite honestly, I didn't expect much sympathy. After all, the Air Force had invested a lot in my instructor training, but I had my ducks in a row when I suggested that four years as a QFI should be enough to amortise that, and it would be very useful in the role that I always wanted, that of a weapons instructor. Now, to all of you out there who think an instructor is just an instructor, in military aviation, the difference between a flying instructor and an RAF qualified weapons instructor, an RAAF fighter combat instructor, a USAF fighter weapons school graduate, 
or one of the many other men and women who train fighter pilots how to fight is like chalk and cheese, and I wanted to be a cheese, a big cheese. You might wonder why in that list I didn't mention the nine-week U.S. Navy Top Gun course. Well, I just gave you the reason. The course to become a Navy Strike Fighter Tactics Instructor lasts nine weeks. All the others are full-time dedicated courses lasting six months. No offence, guys. I'm sure you mean well and are a quick study, but geez, your whole course is more than 60% shorter and your air combat phase runs for only three weeks. If only they could concoct a piece of Hollywood fiction to raise your profile a bit. Oh, wait. Anyway, enough of baiting the fish heads. I wanted to be amongst those honoured few who wore the RAF's red QY badge with the phantom spook carrying a sidewinder under one arm. I never imagined I would get the chance, and anyway, we were off to the distant land of cochinelli and kebabs to catch some beautiful autumn warmth and do gunnery, so Coolhand and I packed up and set off south to the wonderful island of Cyprus. As the stunning blue of the Mediterranean Sea passed beneath us, I pondered on my RAF career. If I were to pick a point of perfection, this would have been it. I was senior enough to be given the best of the flying jobs, but junior enough to carry very little responsibility. My experience gave me enough respect for my voice to be heard, but I didn't have to make any hard choices. All I had to worry about was flying and fun. What could be better? We set up shop in the now very familiar detachment headquarters, filled the fridges with Keo beer, and settled in for a month of shooting in the sun. After a bit of first-night madness in Chris's kebab restaurant, Cool and I had a couple of shakedown trips to film the flag so that the QIs could authorise me to go live and to check the guns out by hosing off a few hundred rounds into the sea. It was a lovely job to dive down towards the ocean, make the master arm live and fire off several seconds worth of cannon shells into the waves. On pulling the trigger, an electric motor would start the Vulcan cannon spinning, and then it became self-sustaining, working from gas pressure. And if the six barrels tried to go past 6,000 rounds per minute, a brake would come on to check its speed, giving rise to a ghostly woo-woo-woo noise. It was something we rarely heard, since a normal firing burst was only half a second or so. Before long, I had a shoot of 44% and 28%, so I'd regained my Allied Command Europe ACE qualification and went into operational shoots that were a bit more demanding. Five shoots later, and we'd put enough holes in the banner to relax and enjoy ourselves, so now it was lazing in the sun, scuba diving, water skiing, and sitting around with cocktails. It was on one such easy-going evening that Coolhand showed his true colours. An unusual night out included brandy sours in the mess, followed by a fast black cab downtown for a meze, a traditional meal of ten to twenty dishes, including such delights as tzatziki, 
Talamasalata, hummus with flatbread, big bowls of rough cut salad, chef talia, kebab, stuffed peppers, cleftico, slow baked mutton, huge pork chops, grilled chicken and moussaka, to name just a few, all washed down with bottle after bottle of rough red cocconelli. These were feasts that left us all exhausted, all except Kuhand, my nav, the skinniest man there. His party trick was to pile all the leftovers from the table onto his plate until it was a huge mound of food. Holding his cutlery in his fists like the weapons of a samurai, he would take bets like Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke. After demolishing this extra snack, he had a habit of lining up across from a colleague and challenging them to a drinking competition. He would fill both glasses to the brim and on the shout of meniscus would down his cocconelli in one and repeat the challenge. When his first opponent fell from his chair in a drunken stupor, he would move on to his next victim. This man was my perfect backsea companion and would go on to command the fighting cocks and do many other great things in the Royal Air Force. It was while the sun was blazing through the flight commander's office window that I was called in to be given some news. I gotta do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. Someone had fallen out of the next QY course, starting early the following year, in three months' time, and they needed a replacement pilot at short notice. Would I like to go? The grin on my face lasted for days and was hardly dented by the size of my hangovers. The two squadron QIs immediately took me under their wings and told me of all the horrors that awaited me and then set me to various unwanted tasks that they normally undertook during an armament practice camp but also let me sit in the back of the cramped and dingy cine rooms during the many film debriefs they performed during the detachment. I was given the task of constructing my own cine assessment tool used to measure the film image of the flag at the opening and closing of the firing burst to ensure that the safety margins of range and angle off were adhered to. For this I was given a copy of the Central Trials and Tactics Organisation QY Handbook and told to get on with it. Suddenly my visits to the bar began to tail off as I studied Section 1, Basic Maths, and began to refresh my 31-year-old brain with indices, logs, trigonometrical ratios, simultaneous and quadratic equations, resolution of vectors, equations of motion, dip and parallax, trajectory, shift and gravity. I skip radar theory and probability theory, gave turn equations a glancing blow, and settled in to air-to-air sighting. Before long, I was quizzing the armourers on the phantom fuselage datum line, the harmonised gun depression line, the bullet ballistics, the firing velocity, and applying air density, range, target velocity and angle off to work out the lead for target motion. With that, I could add trajectory shift, dip, gravity drop, and angle of bank to get prediction angles. 
I took a look at the calculation of projection distance for the Spectro Mark III projector when using the F4's Telford Gunsight camera film, and before long I had a usable lump of cardboard covered in squiggly lines that worked well enough. When we got home from Cyprus, I gave the marvellous news to my darling wife, who rolled her eyes. We had been at Lucas for only six months, having moved from Wales and just got settled in. Now I was telling her that in three months we were facing another shift of several hundred miles, this time from Scotland to Coningsby in England. The course would last six months and would be followed by another posting to who knew where. The excitement of getting my dream shot was starting to fade a little, as the practical realisation of what she faced began to dawn on me. Once more, she was carrying our second child, the first having perished in an ectopic pregnancy, and if all went well this time, she would be giving birth in the middle of the course. I've spoken before about my wife's strength of character, and it showed through again as she smiled, squared her shoulders, and told me not to worry. She told me that she knew how hard the course would be, and that I should concentrate on getting through it. She would handle everything else. So it was that shortly after Christmas we packed up our house into yet another removals van, the cheapest of three quotes that we had obtained and submitted to accounts in station headquarters, and she pointed our old blue Renault 14 with one door so rusty I'd bolted it permanently shut southwards, chased by me on the motorbike. I'd said goodbye to everyone on the squadron, and unlike my previous last flights, this one was all business, and a trip in the back seat of the two-sticker getting qualified as a backseat pilot in the Phantom with the squadron commander in the front. A few trips earlier, I'd been presented with one of my most treasured possessions, a thousand hours Phantom badge. Jilly was right about most things. The Phantom QI course was notoriously hard, and on most days I was going to be up and out of bed before her and rarely home before she climbed back under the duvet. The only difference at weekends was that we went to work in civvies. There were only five of us on the course, two pilots, two navs and a fighter controller, and the staff matched us one for one. For the pilots there was a fair bit of backseat flying and I was now at a Phantom FGR2 base, which had the RAF-equipped F4s as opposed to the ex-Navy ones I had flown back at Lucas. This meant getting to grips with an early-generation mechanical inertial navigation system. The INAS was like a thousand Swiss watches, packed into a suitcase, which the RAF regularly bashed with hammers to make them work. Its heart was a big mechanical gyro surrounded by accelerometers, which measured movement by turning cogs and wheels. In the same manner, waypoints were entered mechanically by disengaging pots, using a joystick to move latin-long counters around to the desired position, and then locking that in by pushing down and turning the pot to re-engage it. In addition, there were the radar controls that required two hands to work, a stick and throttles, except you couldn't engage reheat from the back seat. 
Not only did we have to fly intercepts from the back seat, we had to be able to fly an instrument approach based on the aircraft's radar mapping picture, both of which required at least four hands and eight pairs of eyes, which explains a lot. The standard of flying and instruction required was high. Plus, we were expected to know the aircraft's weapons system as if we were going to build it. Indeed, in the past, QYs were responsible for proposing modifications to the Phantom, such as the Pulfrey mod, a design by Al Pulfrey that allowed the nav to manually control the radar speed gate to prevent it from being decoyed by enemy countermeasures. As part of the course, we gave highly classified lectures and briefings on the aircraft's weapons system, and then went out and used it, firing AIM-7s and AIM-9s in novel and experimental ways, and then analysed the results. We often flew with the staff navigators in all aspects of air defence, and had to coach them through intercepts and correct their errors in radar handling as if they were novices. We regularly took aircraft away and flew against other types, Sea Harriers and Hunters out of Yeovilton, Lightnings out of Bimbrook, Jaguars out of Coltishaw, and at times it seemed most of the United States Air Force. Every aspect of every flight was debriefed, debriefs that were notoriously long and often went into the night, leaving scant hours to prepare for the next day's missions. We started work each day at 6am, picking up a met pack on the way in to brief everyone well before the rest of the station was awake. I was not far into the course when I was recalled from a Friday mission by the boss. I didn't know why until I landed, but I was soon packed off to the maternity unit at Boston, at the original one a few weeks early, as things were unexpectedly happening. Our firstborn took his time to get going, but then arrived in a rush, and all of a sudden Jilly and I were parents, and our world had been turned upside down. Luckily, our mums were there to lend a hand, and by the end of the weekend I was back hard at work. The arrival of our son was far from the only major event of the course, but to find out how I ended up in flames, you'll have to wait for the next instalment. Wow. As I said, those are camera always... Jeff. Oh, I should turn my camera on. Thank you. <laughs> Um, let's see. I just have to figure Fix out where that post, window is. Well, but they, they don't even know that they're, they're listening <laughs> audio only. That's a good point. <clears throat> there we go. Um, I'm always uh, very, I'm fascinated by your experiences, Nick. And uh, these these uh, Form 14 entries are just... Uh, 414. 414. I said 414. What did I... Huh. What's I thought you said 14, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's right. I think you got it right. Hi, this is uh, Fixing It in Post, Jeff. And Liz was right. I did not get it right. Sorry, Liz. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, it's kind of you. Uh, I find it, I, I think, I worry that it's a little self-indulgent. But uh, if no. you're enjoying it, I'll keep churning them out. Love it. Please do. that much. Well, the thing, I have a couple of th two, three things here um, that I, I kind of 
took mental note of here. Mm. Um, uh, it, it makes perfect sense that you wanted to be the big cheese. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. A little snarky regarding the old uh, naval um, uh, weapons. Oh, Oops. Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun yeah, thing. exactly. Well, you see, everybody in the world uh, thinks that the Top Gun course is the pinnacle. And actually, it's a, we, everyone else who's done a proper course thinks it's actually a, a, you know, a bit like a, a weekend course. It's, you know, it's not really, uh, it's not really, um, um, they don't really go deep enough into all the aspects of uh, being a fighter pilot, but... There you go. They're the U.S. Navy, so uh, we can't really complain. I there. see. It's kind of like uh, those uh, like me who went through the uh, 90-day officer training school program instead of spending four years at an academy or four <laughs> oh, years yes, in ROTC. Be, I get it. Okay. That would yeah. be exactly it. Yes. Exactly <laughs> That's why they call right. us 90-day yeah. wonders. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, Top Gun is all about air-to-air combat, and they, they spend a full three weeks uh, doing air-to-air combat training, and I'm going... Three weeks, really? At all? <laughs> anyway, oh, the other thing I wanted you to um, explain to me: what was that sound again that the uh, the break made on the uh, gun? Woo. Oh, woo! <laughs> we always used to uh, woo, woo, woo. It, it really was because the gun was a long way behind us and on the belly, uh-huh. and um, so you you could kind of hear it, but uh, it was a ghostly noise. It really was. It was. Yeah. And when that brake came on, as it is, it wound up to a full six thousand RPM, and and all these bloody smoking bullets came out the front. It was really quite impressive. And also, finally, before we move on, uh, the pictures of your lovely wife, Jilly, were were amazing. <laughs> Really good. Love this one. Well, she's a very pretty lady. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a classic, that one. Actually, yeah. I was going to mention one other picture, and that was my nav there. Uh, and um, it, it, he looks a little short there. But the reason is this was a, a formal uh, guest night. So we're in the mess, all the best silver out. This was not in Cyprus. This was back at uh, our home base. And um, the usual rule was that you had to hold it in for the duration of the meal. You you couldn't leave and go to the toilet uh, during the meal. Oh, uh, that, was, that was considered a bit rude. Uh, you were supposed to wait until uh, we'd finished the uh, main meal and the um, dessert, and then the PMC would uh, bang a gavel, and we'd toast the queen, and then he'd give everyone permission to go to the loo if they wanted. So, Cool Hand, who'd been drinking gallons of uh, alcohol <laughs> beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't last. So he decided he would sneak out, and what he did was to uh, drop to the floor and crawl under the table until he got to the end of a leg that was near an exit. Then he Uh bolted for the exit and hoped no one would notice. Uh Well, of course, all his so-called friends (laughs) did notice, and uh, we uh, stood up and quietly removed his chair and hid it uh, and then returned to our seats so that when he came back, there was no chair for him to sit on to finish the meal. And that was him um, not being able to sit on a chair for the whole rest of the meal. And he had to kneel uh, down on the ground. (laughs) Anyway, you can tell that we used to play a few japes on each other. Yeah, we've heard a few of them here on the show on your uh, (laughs) previous Plain Tales. That is is amazing. Loved it. Uh, It was good fun. 
Yeah. Good days. Jeff, just before you go on, I don't know if you mentioned yes, that Andrew from Ottawa is in the chat room. We, I don't oh, that's right. Yeah, I did, that. I did notice. I didn't realize that until we were listening to the plain tale. And as Liz was pointing out, uh, Andrew, the guy that we had uh, played his audio feedback about his first solo, and we watched the video, is with us uh, in the live audience. In the, oh, brilliant! Oh, excellent. Chat. Well, I hope you. You were there when we were compliment, complimenting you, Andrew. So that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping he was as well. He, I think he was. So, anyway, uh, welcome to uh, the chat room, the live audience. I think he's been here before, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But anyway, I'm finally glad, or I'm glad that we finally had a chance to uh, play your audio feedback uh, regarding your first solo and all the advice that you have for people out there to get on with it. Just do it. Don't don't think about Absolutely. it. Just do it. Yeah. All right. And again, About forty forty. Oh, there he is, Andrew. There we go. Oh, there's Andrew. Hi guys. Thank you. Made my day, and I was there. Excellent. Okay. Good what, job. Liz? Uh, we got about 40 minutes till the two-hour mark, Jeff, just FYI. Just a little under 40 minutes. To the two-hour mark or the three-hour? Two-hour mark. Oh. Oh. Wait a minute. I don't think you're yeah. doing your math. Uh, no, no two-and-a-half-hour mark. Two-and-a-half. Two and okay, great. Sorry, if you want to do half an hour less or do you want to yes. do an hour less? I want to do half an hour less. Okay, sorry. So two-and-a-half hours is the top of the hour. Okay. Yeah, they can, they can only stand so much of us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Usually we're diluted with, uh, you know, uh, Nick and I are uh, diluted with uh, really good hosts like Steph and Nick yes, C. and exactly. Rick. But yeah, so yeah you're you having get a, a break from our monotony. <laughs> you never have a good producer, so there you go. Okay. Well, the, we're talking about the on-screen folks, Liz. Now, if you're you're more than welcome to join us on screen if you like. No, thanks. Oh, okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? Right. You're obviously making some funny quips there. Yeah, I don't know. Some of them are funny and uh, some aren't. Um, <laughs> anyway, some of them are just too close to the truth, I think. Uh oh. I think uh, we probably pick up with number eight, correct, Liz? Correct. Uh, That's okay. correct. Yep. Carrie. All right, here we go. This is from Carrie. Uh, Hi, Captain Jeff, a longtime listener in the sense that I've been spending a long time listening to old shows, but only discovered APG within the last year. Oh, well, welcome. Uh, in other words, I'm a new listener. I'm sorry you had to read that poor attempt at comedy. I completely understand if you refuse to read the rest of this email and file it in the trash. Okay. Uh, well, that'll save a bit of time. Yeah, let's move on then to the next item in our feedback. Yep. Uh, number nine. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll continue since we have went ahead and started to peel this banana. Uh, we're going to continue. Uh, if you're still with me, for the record, I am vehemently opposed to checking in on frequencies using, quote, with you. I'm just writing to say hello to a like-minded aviation nerd and introduce myself. I always dreamed of being an airline pilot when I grew up, but unfortunately, when I grew up, I graduated from high school shortly after 9-11 and graduated from college during the 2008 recession. Both times, I let the it's an awful time to want to be a pilot voices talk me out of it, and I ended up spending 12 years as an actuary crunching numbers in a cubicle. It was a comfortable career, but my heart wasn't into it. I finally splurged to get my private uh, while still working full-time in 2018. Spoiler, spoiler alert, I loved it as much as I thought I would. I loved it so much, I decided to take the plunge and change careers. I got the rest of my ratings at ATP Flight School. I've been instructing in Myrtle Beach out of KMYR ever since November 2019. 
Side note, I know Acme flies primarily the 717 into Myrtle Beach, and your comment in the recent show about an overnight in Myrtle is what made me think about sending you an email. It's all starting to come together now, he says. Uh, fast forward to today, I have 1,450 hours and a training date to fly the E-175 for SkyWest starting in July. Oh, that deserves uh, this here. Oh, um, boom. Very nice. Congratulations. I'm excited out of my mind. Like sometimes I can't contain my excitement and I need to just jump around or run in random directions. <laughs> Think like, <laughs> uh, like, like when cats and dogs get the zoomies. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. I'll actually be moving out to Portland, Oregon before my Sky West date. But if you have another overnight in Myrtle in the next month or two and have nothing to do, I know of a good new brewery near the airport, Tidal Creek. Oh, I remember seeing that as we were uh, going to and fro the uh, hotel, uh, as well as a couple of uh, decent restaurants and even a wonderful state park if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, random side rant about Myrtle. The restaurants and attractions here tend to cater to a certain type of tourist, so almost everything here is mediocre quality and overpriced. You have to search pretty hard to find anything else. Uh, this email is not necessarily meant to be shared on the show. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, oops. Oops. No. That's right. Every restaurateur in Myrtle Beach is making a note of this now. Yeah. We're going to have to put a picture of you out there so that they can find you and beat you up. <laughs> um, oh, this is more than just a, uh, more just a friendly hello. And most importantly, a huge thank you to you and the crew for putting on a wonderful podcast that I will continue to listen to as long as you'll let me. Well, what do you think? Should we let them? Well, I don't yeah, know. We'll there is him. that blacklist we have. Yeah. Okay, for now, we'll we're going to go ahead and let you. Uh, okay, Liz, Liz says she's representing the HR uh, <laughs> department, so she says, okay. Well, um, good job she's on, because Steph is really yeah, Steph, strict. Yeah, you would be out. Trust yeah, me. Be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, show is <laughs> the show is informative, engaging, and usually worth a few laugh-out-loud moments per show, or at the very least, a few laughing silently in my head moments. Blue skies, tailwinds, except on takeoff and landing. Carrie, uh, who is a, he signs it below, future freaking airline freaking pilot. <laughs> is he a friend of Ant? I don't know, because he's always saying things like that. That's brilliant. That's well freaking done, awesome, Carrie. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and I have to say, you know, I, I can tell that uh, Carrie also listens to opposing bases because they have this thing, those air traffic controllers over there, about people checking in with saying with you. And I'd never thought about it before until I heard their episode about that and, and the fact that they keep kind of ranting about people saying, hey, you know, this is uh, Acme Flight 403 with you at flight level 400, whatever. Um, and that's not me because we don't get that high. Um, but, uh, and then I started hearing myself talking on the radio saying with you. And so I'm one of those guys that, says with you. I've said it all my career, my, all my 33 and a half years of flying. And you know what? I'll try to stop saying it, but I'm, I'm, there's no guarantee. I think I might just keep saying it and maybe just bother the heck out of people like RH and AG when they hear somebody say with you. In fact, I bet if I go back to that recording of me going into the mythical triad and talking to AG, I'll bet that you heard me say it at least once or twice. 
uh, or at least when I checked in. So, well, I must admit, I fell foul of it a few times. I, I used to say with you or perhaps checking in, something like that, because occasionally you'd go um, Virgin 123, flight level 390. And you'd hear the controller, perhaps you didn't hear properly, and he'd say, uh, Virgin, blah, blah, go ahead. Uh, so you, you'd go, well, I'm, you must know I'm checking in with you because I've, I've just been handed over. And you'd have to think of something to say, <laughs> to, to go, well, I'm on frequency. I'm here. Yeah, I'm with this you. This is me. Hello. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. But I think, so uh, what do you say? I think it's RH and Neji say something and, and, uh, and also with you. Or something like that, you know, like a, something <laughs> yes. you'd hear, like with your spirit, and also with you know whatever. Um, <laughs> yes, but maybe that's why I say it because I'm used to hearing it in church or something. But uh, uh, could be. So I'd like to know what the formal, um, correct way of checking in on a new frequency uh, is. I got you know there are ways. I've been in the last couple of trips that I've been on and doing my radio work. I've been kind of I, I've been cognizant of what I'm saying and not saying with you. And, and most of the time, if I'm thinking about it, I can do it without saying with you. And, but then when I'm not thinking about it and I'm just, you know, doing my normal thing, I do say it. So I don't know. Um, I think that, um, you know, here, Carrie, if you want to say with you, um, it's okay with us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's, I didn't mean to spend that much time on with you, but there you go. I guess I need to send some feedback into opposing bases regarding that. Mm. Uh, let's see. Continuing on, and oh, by, on this show, I say all right, uh, or I say a lot of things when I'm, I'm editing. I can hear myself saying the same things over and over again. And if you're offended by that, uh, I'm sorry, and just send me the, an email to I'm offended at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> yes. I'm offended. Uh, let's see, Brian, uh, number nine. Um, oh, this is a good one. Um, he said, what do you guys think about this new proposed FAA regulation? He said, I could only get a picture of it. And let me read this to you here. So it's an interesting regulation. It's a new FAA proposed rule 1000. 1000.1a, no pilot, mechanic, or pilots, mechanics, or person or persons acting on the direction or suggestion or supervision of the pilot, mechanic, or pilots, mechanics, may try or attempt to try or make or make attempt to try to comprehend or understand any uh, or all in whole or in part of the herein mentioned federal aviation regulations, except as authorized by the administrator or an agent appointed by or inspected by the administrator. Okay, that's an interesting paragraph. Um, the next one, uh, if the pilot or group of associated pilots becomes aware of or realizes or detects or discovers or finds that he or she or they are or have been beginning to understand the federal aviation regulations, they must immediately, within three days, notify in writing the administrator. Upon receipt of the above-mentioned notice of impending comprehension, the administrator will immediately rewrite the federal aviation regulations in such a manner as to eliminate any further comprehension. And then finally, the administrator may at his or her option require the offending pilot mechanic or pilot's mechanics to attend remedial instruction in federal aviation regulations until such time that the pilot mechanic is too confused to be capable of understanding anything. 
That makes perfect sense to me. I see. I, I don't see a problem with that proposed uh, rule. Do you, Captain Nick? I don't. Yeah, you're muted. Microphone. Sorry, Jeff. I was just looking something up. Absolutely brilliant. No, I think that uh, that makes it as clear as mud. It's perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian from Katy, Texas. And I'm sure yeah. that this is real. I mean, it actually it does sound well, like it. I, if it's not, it ought to be. Um, but uh, I was just actually um, reminded to look up um, the crystal mark. And uh, it's a, I don't know if it exists outside of the United Kingdom, but uh, if you have a document, you can apply uh, to the Plain English camp campaign who will give you a crystal mark if your uh, what you've written uh, is sufficiently clear in plain English. And I think an awful lot of um, companies and government uh, departments would benefit by sending their staff into the crystal mark just to see how well uh, they could be understood. Of course, wow. a lot of people try and obscurate what they're writing just for the purpose of getting out of future <laughs> legal <laughs> yeah. uh, problems, I'm sure. I don't, yeah. you know, I think they deliberately make them difficult to understand. Right. So you have to have a lawyer and and uh, some kind of a trial or something uh, to sort it all out. <laughs> yeah, and that way exactly. they might make more money. Um, and so I guess the crystal mark is uh, because if something is crystal clear. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Never heard of that. All right, uh, let's um, continue. See, I told you. All right, let's continue with Brad, number 10, um, flight simulation for Carolina Jeff. Hello to the entire APG crew. It was great watching APG 514 and seeing everyone in attendance for a great podcast. That was a lot of fun. See how uh, long that lasted. Yeah, very. <laughs> see how long that lasted. Uh, while listening to the great comments and advice to Carolina Jeff, who is about to undertake flying lessons, I was thinking that a computer flight simulation software might be advantageous for him. Although it was not mentioned, I was curious of your thoughts and opinions if this would be helpful. I happen to own Microsoft Flight... Uh, uh, what's the FS stand for? Flight Simulator 2020, FS 2020, X-Plane 11, and P3D which are all very realistic home computer flight simulators. I'm not sure if any of you have ha any hands-on experience with these programs, but I think they would be extremely valuable for Carolina Jeff in his pre-lesson preparation. Again, just looking for your thoughts on this option. Thanks for an amazing podcast. Blue Skies and Tailwinds, Brad Nunn. Oh, Brad was the one that we talked about the hard landings on the last episode. He's a right. airline pilot, He's a pilot um, yeah. Airbus pilot. So, uh, Nick, I think you mentioned that you have uh, dabbled in some of this uh, home computer flight simulator uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I used to do it. Um, when I first came onto the Airbus, I uh, acquired a copy of the uh, A340 uh, flight deck and um, the simulation of, uh, I had MS uh, Microsoft Flight Sim, uh, was good enough to uh, be able to practice quite a lot of instrument flying on it. And um, it was kind of fun uh, just to mess about with you know with the joystick and uh, the because the visuals are so beautiful and the uh, modeling is actually remarkably accurate uh, considering it's done uh, you know by 
non-aviation. Well, I think you, I say about to say non-aviation experts, but I don't think that's true. I think they've got some really clever people in there working the model. But it's a company that's not really designing uh, full motion simulators, is it? Is it? It's, it's designing mm -hmm. something that's supposed to be fun uh, as well as you know um, generate a certain amount of um, realism. So I think they're great uh, in certain aspects. Don't ever fool yourself that you could climb out of a um, from behind a computer screen and climb into an aircraft and what? Uh, oh yeah, you do can. it all right. <laughs> there's an awful lot of physiological effects that you might not be aware of that <laughs> could spoil your day. <laughs> well, you just spoiled Landon's day. Uh, exactly, but uh, I think there are, yes, I think there are lots of things that um, you uh, can benefit, uh, and the latest versions are just superb. They really are. I mean, mm. you, I've seen them uh, um, on YouTube and uh, on you know Facebook or whatever, and sometimes you have to really carefully watch uh, a video there to work out that oh this this is actually a flight simulator doing this this is not a real video from right. someone filming a crash or a, a near miss or something so it, they are extremely good and great fun in fact i used to be part of a an avsim uh setup where we would be military pilots flying whatever uh all online, all together, flying missions. And uh, it was very cool. It really was. It was very good. It's, an, it's amazing. You know, the, the world uh, the, of flight simulation, uh, home computer flight simulation is just incredible. And I honestly didn't realize it until I started doing the show and we started getting feedback from people and mm. talking about services like VATSIM and others where you have, you know, real-time air traffic control interacting and everything else. I'm thinking, what? I had no virtual airlines, virtual yeah. fighter squadrons, as you just mentioned. It's yeah, amazing. exactly right. Yeah, I've got a friend uh, who I keep in touch with regularly. Who only lives a couple of miles away. He's a head of a refueling tanker uh, for the Royal Air Force. He's actually uh, seventy something, and he sits behind his computer flying entire head of a refueling missions. Wow! <laughs> and I'm going, boy, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yes, Liz. Do you think we should hang on to this and get Steph and Nick Camacho's? Yeah, put on I think this that would well? be a good idea. She's uh, saying that maybe we should uh, hang on to this one, maybe move it into the next uh, notebook, uh, new, uh, feedback notebook, and see what uh, Nick Camacho and Steph might have to say uh, regarding Absolutely, this as well. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Good idea, Liz. All right. Uh, oh, here's some audio. She's feedback. full of it. She's That's full good of it? ideas. Yeah, yeah, she is full, I'm full of, it. of it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Am. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Liz. Uh, that's all right. We know that you really meant it. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do some more audio feedback. Hello, Airline Pilot Guy podcasts and all the hosts, including Captain Jeff. This is Carter. I'm not sure if this is a true story, but it is interesting. Some of you might not have followed the story back in 2020 about a California congressman by the name of Eric Swalwell. He was dating a Chinese spy. Her name was Fang Fang. The same congressman sat on the House Intelligence Committee. Who'd have thunk it? Anyway, he dated this woman for a number of years, and many in Congress are worried that he had passed along state secrets to her to the Chinese government. She left him when it was discovered that she was a spy, and she hastily traveled back to China. 
Anyway, it has been reported that she was on the Chinese jet that recently crashed unexpectedly in China. You know, the 737. I'm not sure how we could verify this. Uh, many years ago, I flew all the versions of the 737 as an airline pilot, and I can't imagine what would cause one to just dive from 37,000 feet, behaving like a lawn dart, into the earth. I guess this is a new version of a lawn dart. Anyway, the Congressman Swalwell still sits on the House Intelligence Committee. Who'd have thunk it? Just thought this was interesting and that we might never know the full story. That is... She, unless she shows up unexpectedly again in the media. Thanks for a great podcast. Enjoy listening to it and keep up the great work. Thank you, Carter. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, that is, uh, I don't know if I've heard anything regarding that or not. I have Um, not. And yeah, that was the first time that, uh, did you poke around, Liz, to see if you could... I uh, poked around, I couldn't find anything. Find anything on that? Okay. Um, But, uh, you know, again, you know, spies are kind of secretive, right? I got to contact my CIA contact. Oh, Liz has a CIA contact that she's going to see if she can figure this out. But anyway... probably changed her name by now. I would think so. It'd, it'd want to be called Fang Fang. I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't sound like a very complimentary. Come on, come on, Nick. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, Nick's um, uh, call sign or whatever. His uh, Fang Fang. His secret. What do you call uh, it? They, co- they, they call ID? me White Rabbit. That's Nickname White me. Rabbit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is interesting. An interesting uh, uh, idea. But it, you're right. That that is a very highly unusual uh, thing to see that thing just falling straight out of the sky like that. And we have, you know, I haven't heard anything about it. I know they have no. the. Uh, Flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorders, and but it's, it's been very, very They're in quiet. Washington. They're in yeah. Washington. They're yeah. being well. I, I mean, it's not unheard of. There have been airplanes that have done similar things. Um, so, mm-hmm. I guess we're going to find out. Yep. Hopefully, or maybe not. Mm. I mean, I was actually thinking of the, all the rudder hardovers, although they occurred at a lower altitude, didn't they, when the 7.3, yeah. and they fixed that problem yeah. uh, many, many, many years ago. But mm-hmm. uh, that that reared its ugly head in a lot of people's minds when mm. that airplane did that thing. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that was quite a dramatic um, loss of several aircraft. It was. It was. All right, uh, continuing with um, 12 uh, from Henry. Uh, Henry um, presents a, uh, an, uh, an image, and this is a, uh, very good. It's a test. He said, uh, teacher, the test isn't that confusing. The test, and there's a picture of an airliner, I guess. Uh, what would, how would you describe this airliner, Nick, without uh, seeing what? the photo? <laughs> Uh, from uh, the front end, uh, it's an A380 uh, nose, and that then blends into a 747-400-ish. You get back to the engines, and they look like a 747-8 or a 787 engines. Then you've got a triple bogey, so that's 777 or A350, 
Uh, back end of the fuselage uh, has that boat tail. Now, what has that kind of boat DC shaped tail? That's a DC-10 tail. Well, the, 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 yeah, the engine in the tail, but is, is the tip of the, the rear tip of the fuselage with that kind of... Yes, uh, we're pinched like the, M like the, the MD, MD-11, I guess. Okay, the, right. Yeah. So it's it's a beautifully uh, blended combination of all those airplanes all stuck into one. Yep, a good mashup, so, Lou says. Yeah. So the only thing I can't, um, you know, see in there is the 737. <laughs> well. I can't see any bit of a 737. Yeah, is this what uh, Henry said, uh, Liz? I'd say it's a 737 Max. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly be maxed out. Yeah, definitely. A Max Max. Yep. All right. Um, hey. We've got about uh, 15 minutes left. 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, well, well, let's go ahead and play just a little bit of this uh, video sent in from uh, by Jeffrey. Um, and uh, I'm not going to play the entire thing, but I do recommend that you um, check it out yourself. And is it one of these videos I've put in here? Let's see. Add to stream. Welcome back in this morning. A project you have never seen before is building a bridge between Seattle's past and its future right now. Once a symbol of human ingenuity in the Northwest, the Boeing 747 is about to land in a place it's never landed before in the heart of downtown Seattle. Today, the corner of Stewart and Denny looks a lot like other downtown Seattle street corners experiencing a building boom. The new apartment towers are coming along, all building up to a special crescendo. Seattleites should be incredibly proud of what they have done. You have an incredible city. Developer Ian Gillespie, founder of West Bank, based in Vancouver, Canada, is the visionary behind one of Seattle's newest projects, a self-proclaimed city builder. Gillespie's built communities in major cities around the globe. But 1200 Stewart is one of his most ambitious projects to date. Between these two towers, Gillespie is landing a jumbo jet at 250 feet long. Watch out. More than 65 feet high. <laughs> the fuselage of a Boeing 747 airplane will be the centerpiece. The Boeing 747 is a beautiful object. Its curves, its lines. If you saw the mm. word iconic, that's the image that should come to mind. And I think that it's not iconic for this region. It's iconic for the world. The wide-body jet will hang 14 feet above ground and serve as offices for West Bank, but also a public gathering space and an entryway to shops and a Live Nation music venue. The birth of Boeing 747 in the late 60s... <laughs> Liz makes the point. She says she hopes that there is no blue ice involved with that uh, <laughs> yeah, fuselage good point. when you're having your nice little cocktail in the mm -hmm. park. In your meeting with, place. Yeah. Or perhaps they ought to make it a feature of your cocktail. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, new, new could, blue ice cocktail. A blue ice cocktail. That's a that's an idea. <laughs> anyway. I think, uh, I think it's great. I love the concept. Yeah. Uh, the only problem I have with it is these aircraft, real aircraft, that you try and store somewhere out in the open uh, are notoriously bad at taking the weather. Mm -hmm. They turn ugly colors they go grow slime and moss they start to leak they deteriorate after all then they're not really built terribly solidly it's not like 
you've actually got a building construction there. It's very, very thin aluminium compared with normal building construction. Well, in, so. in the artist renderings here, it kind of looks like they, they've got it somewhat sheltered, um, kind of sandwiched mm. between a couple of buildings. And I think there might actually be some kind of a roof above the thing as well. So maybe it has a better chance of kind of... Well, not... I, I would like to think so. If they look after it, of course, it'll, it'll look... Gr Great, but it's quite an expense to keep an airplane hanging there in midair, uh, and you know you have to ask uh, a museum uh, owner to ask him how hard it is to maintain those aircraft and keep them looking good. It's really tough. But anyway, it'd be nice to see it happen. After all, if if not Seattle, then where? Because it's the best place for it. Right. I mean, if that's very apropos. I think. Yeah, absolutely. No one goes to Seattle, so that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Liz is talking in my ear. What did you say that must have been very no, clever no, and made yourself laugh? You. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, he said something very anti-Boeing, I think. Meanest. No. Yeah. Ah, How unusual. Right. All right. Um, very uh, fair-minded. Let's, let's go to 15 okay. and then 19, and then that'll be the end. That sounds good. Thank you, Liz. Uh, number 15, we're going to Nick. Hello, airline pilots, guys. <laughs> Okay. Uh, this is uh, from Josh. Uh, thought this was quirky. The uh, German airline Condor, officially Condor Flugdienstgesellschaft mit Berschenkterhaftung. Good luck, Josh. Well, I'm glad easy you said you that. Easy for you to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy for me to say, and I'm sure that wasn't even close, but I tried. Uh, revealed their new aircraft liveries this past weekend. Here's some of some info on their thought process behind it. Personally, I think it brings something different and cheerful to the dull Euro-white liveries that have become commonplace these days. Wishing everyone the usual shabam, Josh. And uh, so the the why don't you go to that first one, uh, Liz? Um, this and I'll tell you one to advance. This is uh, the A321, the first Condor aircraft to fly in the new livery. Uh, let's see. So this one is, it's, these are vertical, uh, how would you, yeah, vertical stripes, kind of like, um, cylinder around the cylinder of the fuselage. And th this, in this case, it's bright orange and white. And it, uh, I'm sorry, this looks just absolutely atrocious to me. Hideous. <laughs> Hideous, yeah. Uh, almost like some kind of a weird um, tropical lizard or something. No, I don't it's know. like a prison well, jet. It's a bit like, like a Christmas candy. The, a Christmas candy know, or a prison yeah. jacket. Um, yes, yes. Okay, uh, Liz, advance to the next one. This is the uh, first A330neo. And again, they're taking, taking a beautiful-looking airplane and making it look just hideous, <laughs> in my opinion. Tell us what you really uh, think. Jim. This one's uh, the same vertical kind of stripes going along the fuselage, and it's it, this is like kind of an Irish green, I guess I'd call that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. All right, let's see. Let's look at the next uh, contestant. This one's not so bad because it's just That's the vertical bad. stripes on the tail only, the tail fin of this uh, Airbus A320, uh, 320, yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. And, that, uh, that's apparently because uh, their leased aircraft will be operated by other airlines, only uh, get a partial uh, uh, version of their livery. I see. Aren't they lucky? Yeah, aren't they lucky, Liz? Says. Yes. <laughs> um, and then they have a couple of uh, retro liveries, which I really like retro liveries. And this one is, I think, quite smart looking. This is uh, uh, based on the airline's 1960s to 1970s livery. 
And again, you'll Black look nose. at the show notes uh, if you want to see what we're talking about. Yeah, that blood, the nose cone, the radome is black. I mean, I remember a day when everybody's was always that Love black that. color. Uh, oh, my old black. man. You know when they first introduced radar into airliners? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they did that. All the aircraft with um, early radomes, they were painted black. Mm-hmm. My old man got so upset because airlines that didn't, Pave to have a radar would just paint their noses black anyway, <laughs> so everyone assumed that theirs was a, a oh, radar equipped funny. airliner. And he <laughs> he used to be furious. I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand <laughs> yeah, why you would be. Yeah. And then the last one we have here is um, A320 um, with the again um, retro kind of uh, livery uh, don't that's got, that's nice color too I, I do like, yeah, that. I like that one. I forgot what they call that when they and that I always like that look where they do the paint uh, along the window line um, I'm sure there's a term for it but uh, it always it's makes stripe the stripe <laughs> along the uh, yeah the window line you know there's probably something more stripe. technical than that I'm thinking <laughs> but maybe not I don't Can we know. have a stripe down the windows please oh yeah. Uh, one of the stripe down the window thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Two stripes on the tail. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Got it. Anyway, uh, I think it looks good. I, I I'm, uh, I, I like those, those retro. Not well, a fan I, of the uh, vertical stripes. Nope. <laughs> okay. May, may not be very aesthetically pleasing, but it's striking. And oh, yeah. when you see that airplane, you'll know exactly what airline it belongs to. That's true. You? That is true. Yeah. Yeah, like and after, when you're be, sitting yeah. on the inside, you can't really see it. So who cares? No, then you so you don't you're not queasy and uh, you can actually eat because uh, <laughs> yeah. you're not yeah. looking at Mike it. Mike has got the, the term. It's a cheat, uh, cheat line. A, a cheat line. A cheat line. Okay. Um, oh. Why would they call it a cheat line? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll take his word for it. All right. And number 19. And number 19. And this is going to be it for today's show. Robert uh, sent in a link and to this. Laura. Oh, and, and Laura. Laura excuse me. They Laura Davis. And Robert uh, used to be over there near that big chicken, but now he's near Tucker. Um, and this is from uh, Boeing.net. I don't think that's the official Boeing website. Um, let's see. Mexico is renting out a presidential jet for birthday parties and he said uh, oh laura says this is a great idea for an apg party jet maybe for the 600th episode okay well i don't know we're gonna have to get a lot more contributions for that to work laura but uh, we'll see uh but uh mexico mexican president andres manuel manuel lopez obrador feels that the country's 200 million dollar presidential jet was a ridiculous expenditure and an insult to the country's people and he's been trying to sell it off Unfortunately, there haven't been any takers. So now, Lopez Obrador uh, says the customized Boeing 787 Dreamliner, complete with uh, presidential suite and marble bathroom, will be available to rent for weddings, birthdays, and coming-of-age parties. And, oh, there's a video below. I didn't download the video. Um, He says uh, the jet is hard to sell because it's too specialized and made to order. I think we do have a... Don't we have an overlay of that jet? there uh yes we do sorry okay. my bad uh he said that them. the government there it is uh would be would still be open to offers for the plane but after almost three and a half years that possibility seems remote the plane was purchased for 200 million dollars and was used by the previous president enrique peña nieto 
It has been difficult to sell because it is configured to carry only 80 people and has a full presidential suite with a private bath. Oh, that's mine. Experts say it would be costly to reconfigure into a typical passenger jet that would carry up to 300 passengers. It's a good looking jet. And I think I'm thinking we could have one heck of a party for sure at the APG on this jet. Absolutely. Yeah. Where would we fly to while we were having that party? Does it matter, really? Uh, probably not, but it'd be drunk. nice to go somewhere special, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would. We could uh, we could all land uh, outside a list and go to Nick's place. <laughs> I was thinking of um, Oshkosh. <laughs> oh yeah, we could go to we got Oshkosh in that. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, yeah. that's uh, another version of the cheat line uh, underneath yeah. the yeah. windows there. Lines, Lin, yeah. uh, Liz was saying it was a, it's a double cheat line. Uh, yes, it is absolutely. But doesn't um, it have to it be? Was, does the cheat line have to be along the windows or not? So I, I think well, was, they started along the windows uh, yeah. because um, it was supposed to um, break up the staccato uh, staccato impact of the cabin windows um, to make the place the aircraft look more streamlined. Ah, gotcha. Um, but uh, after a while, that would became a bit passe. So they moved sometimes uh, below sometimes above and below mm -hmm. um, and then stylized with lightning bolts and feathers and national flag all sorts of stuff and and uh, uh what was the uh, animal that was on the back of the frontier tail um armadillo. armadillo yeah yes exactly yeah. uh in the uk we used they used to be a regular thing on a car uh, and you could buy tape to put down little thin tape. Mm -hmm. And we used to pin call stripe. them go faster stripes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we call them pinstripes. Yeah, well, that was, would be a proper name for it. Mm -hmm. But uh, the go faster was because it gave the impression that your car would go faster. Yeah, I still see those on every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She... Yeah, Liz said... Uh... <laughs> Liz says uh, the the guys that uh, put flames on the side of their cars, you know, to make them look oh, uh, faster. And he says it's usually something like a Lauda, Lauda, or a, something <laughs> like that. Anyway, the the one I really used to like was the tiger's tail hanging out of your petrol tank. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. Uh, you put a tiger in your tank. Ah, yeah. uh -huh. or I, my favorite is the uh, the fake arm that's hanging out of the back of your trunk, <laughs> or your bonnet, or whatever you guys call it. Boot. Yep. Yep. You call it a boot. Or a bonnet. Yeah, we do call it. No, we don't call it a boot. We call it a boot. <laughs> okay, boot. <laughs> <laughs> or trunk. I don't know why we call it a trunk. But anyway, we do. And yeah, that's uh, what the elephant packs. Ah, it does pack a trunk. Yes. Okay. Um, it is now definitely time to wrap this thing up. Uh, so it's a treat <laughs> yes, for you all. very silly. <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, it's, it's a special treat for you uh, during Holy Week. Uh, you don't have to put up with as much of our show as usual. Maybe you could sing and for half an hour and put that No, I'm end. not going to sing for half an hour um, <laughs> and put that on the end, Liz. Thank you very much for that great suggestion. Not. Okay. Well, she's still laughing. She can't. She, she really cracks herself up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> she, she liked her joke. Uh, okay, so what I'm going to do here is I am going to try to do this very quickly, and nobody will know I'm even doing it. But now that I'm trying to do it, it's taking forever. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where is the tab that I'm trying to share? Here we go. That is. <laughs> is it there? No, it's not there. Can somebody? 
put it up there on the screen by hitting add to stream. I just did it. Oh, there we go. Okay, there. Beautiful. There's our website right there Beautiful. in its present real-time state, Airline Pilot Guy Show. And the reason why we have that up there is to show you that you have lots of things that you can investigate while you're on our site. You can uh, podcasts, uh, APG on YouTube, uh, information about the APG crew, which still needs to be updated, and we haven't gotten around to it yet, so sorry. Uh, let's see, Plane Tales. There's a special Plane Tales page there that you can see. Look at that. Yeah. You see all these I different... Put the, uh, I put the... Um... Frederick, Carl, etc., up today. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, not going to do the the re um, replaying okay. one, Jeff. But okay. I'm going to do the one after, and then I'll have run out. Okay. Very good. That's his uh, way of telling me that I need to get back and <laughs> stick and put some more stuff in there for him to work on. Okay, uh, APG Library. We talked about Tiffany um, in Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is uh, her work and all kinds of listings for historical fiction, aviation memoirs and biographies, astronautics, and more. So check that out. And uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Of course, the Coffee Fund. Uh, information about how you can join this great group of folks who support our show financially. We also have the APG store where you can get some t-shirts, uh, some merch uh, to support the uh, show and show that uh, you have great taste. And uh, let's see, finally contact us where you can uh, speak pipe. There it is. Speak pipe is uh, one way to send an audio feedback and we have our individual emails there as well. So Check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot the calendar. Here we go. The calendar is right here, and uh, I usually put my trips on there, and then you, if you click on the trip, you can actually see uh, the flight segments that I'm scheduled to fly, and if we have any meetups or uh, or you know the indication or... Looks like you're goofing off the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I am goofing off the ne next couple of weeks. Actually, next week I'm going to be flying. I'm going to be picking up some flights or some trips. And then that final weekend or week in April, I'm on vacation. But uh, we also put uh, when we think we're going to be recording the next show. And uh, so it's all there on the APG community calendar and so much more. So check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. And we are also on the Sochmeads. And uh, Nick is going to give this a whirl. I certainly am. And if you're a face planter, then uh, you just need to... <laughs> Look at Faceline. <laughs> I love it. Uh, just put it, yeah, put in the search uh, line there. Airline pilot guy, all one word. Uh, if you're uh, if you're interested in Twitter, then uh, you need Who to isn't? look at our, our yeah. handle at Very APG nice. Crew, and that sort of works for Instagram as well. As if you don't need the app, we're just APG Crew on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Very good, very good. We're going to go and play this now just because I think that uh, Hillel is with me again here in the cabin, and let's see if he's not too busy. Hey, Hillel! Hillel, can you, do, can you do slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Okay, we're used to it. Yeah, come we, on. We're used to it now, Hillel. <laughs> yeah. All right, he's going to come sit down next to me, and he's going to tell us all about slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To 
to get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Appreciate it. What the heck is on this hand towel, Jeff? Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't don't have any idea what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, that was Slack, so check it out. And also, we'd like to say a, a big, big thank you to Liz, our producer director. Hey, what Liz? Good job. Oh, you look beautiful. You look beautiful in red, Liz. Very nice. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and until next time, wishing you all a happy Easter and clear skies and limited visibilities and tailwinds. Take care happy and Passover God bless. Too. And happy Passover, yeah. too. Yeah. And any other thing that you happen to be celebrating. I, I don't. But goodbye, everybody. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> that was smooth. I don't celebrate. I don't celebrate things. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how they got